This episode of How To Wrestling was brought to you by The Woman Who Would Be King, The Medusa Story. Yes, we're very happy to have this episode sponsored by our pals over at ECW Press, Deborah Michelli, who you may know better as Medusa, or Alundra Blaze, who this very episode is about, has written an absolutely stellar tell-all autobiography. If you want to hear about four decades of wrestling, monster trucks, and behind-the-scenes action, you have got to read this book. It is honestly one of the most eye-opening wrestling biographies I have read in many, many a year. It's got a foreword by Paul Heyman and it's all the words of Medusa herself as told to Greg Oliver and let me tell you you're going to hear all about the AWA the WCW all Japan women's wrestling working with Vince McMahon in the WWF and the world of monster truck madness in monster jam for me someone who's a big fan of wrestling history I'm always after perspectives from those we don't hear about as often in the world of sports entertainment and needless to say the women are often very underrepresented in the autobiography genre so I was very very happy for the folks at ECW Press to sponsor this episode and to get my hands on this book. It is an absolutely stellar read. You can find it wherever you get books. It's available on Amazon or from ecwpress.com. It is a must-read, tell-all autobiography. Hear it all in her words. And don't forget, if you'd like to sponsor an upcoming episode of How To Wrestling, you can, as always, head over to our Patreon page, patreon.com forward slash How To Wrestling, where as well as 120 pay-per-view reviews, pay-per-view classic, or new Totally Divas series, series and youtube wrestler review the the big show show and much much more you can get access to all of those audio goodies for as little as five dollars a month and if you'd like to sponsor an upcoming episode details are available there but for now let's talk all about the woman herself the woman who would be king it's time for how to medusa and welcome to the episode of How To Wrestling, the world's first podcast detailing how to wrestling, how to get into wrestling, how to understand wrestling, and goodness knows maybe even how to enjoy wrestling. And today's episode is about a pioneer in the world of women's wrestling and a trailblazer in her own right, not just a Lundra Blaze, it's How To Medusa. Hello once again, it's me, your old pal, Captain Kevin, who joined us, as always, by my co-host and better half, it's Joe Graham. Hello. Joe, excited to learn all about Medusa today, are we? I am very excited. I've heard a lot about Medusa in, in legend. In legend. Myth. The, the, the legend, the myth of Medusa. Yeah, I think that she has popped up a time or two in the past. Mm. Usually in a uh, semi-controversial fashion, yes. maybe, let's yes. just say. Yes. I think there's been a long arc of this podcast, which is rectifying the complete lack of knowledge I displayed about women's wrestling in the earlier episodes of this. Mm. And I feel like every time we do a woman from a bygone era, i.e. before the Attitude Era, we, we learn a little bit more and we, we correct that initial shaky uh, explanation <laughs> of, nah, women didn't really wrestle before the late 90s, actually, uh, <laughs> which was, in fact, total bullshit. But I think from the Sherry episode, the Loon episode, even the, the, uh, the Mae Young episode... It's always been an interesting part of the wrestling world to visit, I think, Joe. Yeah, definitely. And one that is, as you say, I think has been kind of overwritten. It's not just that people have forgotten. It's that there is actively rewriting of history on behalf of the biggest wrestling promotion in the world. Yeah, I didn't think when we started this podcast that it would be kind of like (laughs) a semi-crusade for like, kind of like, 
find out what actually happened mm. because when there's a very big billion dollar company that's kind of like not just kind of completely rewriting history like some people might say but tweaking it to the point where it's no longer recognizable as, as what has happened absolutely because i think a lot of people were kind of always upset by the by the idea that there wasn't really women's wrestling until the mid-2000s because that obviously if that were true that is shocking because the sport has a long history of, you know, hundreds of years now. Yeah, we like a good, a good narrative of, like, it was bad, and then it became and good. And then it became good. <laughs> and then to find out, no, actually, that's not what happened, and that women's wrestling had a rich history, even in America, yeah. long before the mid-2000s, like decades before. And yet we went backwards. That's what's really, like, you think it's bad that there wasn't wrestling before? Well, there was, and we've gone backwards. That's so much worse. It's very, very strange. And I think what exemplifies that kind of cloud, that haze surrounding, like, kind of the, the, the pre-Attitude Era women... I think is exemplified greatly by Alundra Blaze, who you'll find all about today here that Medusa, she was also known, a fantastic competitor, like world-renowned at the time, like an absolute like pioneer in that space. And yet for me, someone who gobbled up every little DVD interview, shoot interview, wrestling channel, every episode of Raw and SmackDown and WWE Classics on Demand, anything I could get my hands on back in the day, I would, I would absorb it. And yet... Alundra Blaze or Medusa, I think I only knew about her during when they brought in the NWO in 2002 and they showed loads of clips of like the chaos in it in WCW mm. and they'd show her dropping the, the title belt in the bin. And I thought that was Sable. <laughs> I was oh. like, oh, right, yeah, because she, the blonde lady who had problems with the company and left. That's Sable, yeah. Sable, right? I was like, mm. no, Austin, it was this other lady who was completely yeah. different. She About as this... far away from Sable as you can possibly get. <laughs> I don't think we've ever had someone on this show who has been like miscast for their entire career is like one singular event. Yeah, absolutely. You know, and for for a lot of you coming here, you may know that this woman is the woman who put the women's championship in the bin. That's all I knew about her. <laughs> if you were like, when you first found that out or saw that, like what in your mind, like what was the rationale behind that? Like why was that going on? Why is, why is a belt being dumped in the bin? I can't remember the first episode it came up. Was it the... Might have been Bischoff Eric maybe? Eric Bischoff one maybe? Yeah. yeah. And I've always thought it was a really cool concept. I think wrestlers and wrestling take themselves way too seriously. And your favourite wrestler is Bret Hart, right? Just and my favourite wrestler is Bret Hart. <laughs> so I needed a little asterisk there beside yeah. you. <laughs> Both things can be true. I think putting a belt in a bin is a very cool, rebellious thing. And I think it's a very interesting way of blurring kayfabe and shoot. And yeah. it has always kind of, not annoyed me, but I've always thought it's a bit of a wasted opportunity that stuff like that hasn't been done more but in the the i'm gonna play devil's advocate okay. here now yeah. which is a wrestling fan advocate yeah voice. The is ad that really devil's advocate well look uh all, all i'll say is that those of us who've been watching forever yeah. have been led to believe that a belt being put into the bin is basically saying this championship means nothing ergo the people competing for it mean nothing it's mm -hmm. irrelevant yeah you might as well just chuck it in the bin okay. and i say that growing up i remember the european championship was put in the bin the wcw hardcore championship was put in the bin i think the cruiserweight championship was in the bin at some point there's been lots of belts in bins over the years okay yeah but those are often done as kind of like they were 
it's funny because when it was involving the men, it was kind of like, oh, it's just this kind of kooky storyline or whatever. Mm. Or like if you remember in Mick Foley's episode, he spat on the WCW Tag Championship and he threw it away. Yeah. ECW was founded with Shane Douglas spitting on the NWA World Championship and throwing that down as well. Mm-hmm. But when Alundra Blaze, when Medusa put the WWF Women's Championship in the bin, that was different, yeah, yeah. somehow disrespectful exactly so it's, it's just hypocrisy i don't i don't get why it's such a big deal do you think anything is lost though because like, i can think of those other smaller championships like the european belt kind of that became kind of a bit of a joke then it's like oh it's the belt that no one wants so in the bin it goes well i think that's a booking decision though how do you come out of your belt being in the bin then in your mind take it out of the bin <laughs> Someone's like dusting it off. I just don't understand how people can say that putting a belt in the bin is like tarnishing every wrestler who won that title, but say The Miz going to, I don't know, Philadelphia and making fun of their sports team and saying all the locals are idiots. How is that not the same? I just (laughs) don't understand why one is a heel act and one is too far. Right, yeah, I guess because it's... You're messing with the precious it's history. It's different. What about the history of those sports fans? But that's not. That's just like a, a local thing. That's not like the history. That's the foundation of the company. Okay. What if know? William Regal goes to America and he says all Americans are stupid? Is that not making fun of the history of America? Yeah, but the like, culture of America. The company's not America. The company's the wrestling company. You know. So what so. the issue then is down to corporate company loyalty. <laughs> I just want to know where the line is. I I I feel that. It's definitely the case of something that has been massively overblown. Yeah. That was, in many respects, as we get into it, the actual act itself and the build-up to the act and what comes after it, like, all of those felt like kind of convenient placeholders to maybe not do business with a woman who they didn't want to do business with anymore anyway. Mm. You know? It felt like a, a convenient way of silencing someone who was speaking out about things like equal pay yeah. or the misogyny that she came across in wrestling mm-hmm. and is one of the few women that we've come across who was, you know, I hate the using the phrase one of the boys or but one like, of the guys. You're fair to do so because literally everyone she's worked with has described her as that and herself included. Like Yeah, so she, she's like very much an outlier in many respects. Yeah. And we've had many instances on this podcast before of people being kind of maybe think that they're in the wrong era, like they they came too soon or they came too late or mm-hmm. whatever it may be. And I think as we go through the the story in life and times of Medusa, we may realize that even though she was phenomenal in her time, that perhaps she was ahead of her time a bit too much for her own her own sake. Mm-hmm. So we have had a look at the recent autobiography that's come out from her, which is called The Woman Who Would Be King. Shout out for the absolutely fantastic uh, cover of that. As I was reading that book on holiday and you just glanced over and saw the cover and you're like, huh, so she's hot then. <laughs> <laughs> she is hot. She's She still remains incredibly hot. Yes, uh, even at 60 years young, she is mm-hmm. like, uh, she's the body of, of someone half her age, basically. We also had a look at WWE's documentary they produced about her when she was brought into the Hall of Fame a few years back. I say a few years back, it was 2015, which is nearly 10 years ago no, now. It's and not. Yeah, that's on the network. It's called Trailblazer. So we're going to go through the, the, the story of her career. We're going to hit some matches and stuff along the way now i don't think there's a worse way that you can open a documentary about a pioneering woman than the way the wdb did here with with trailblazer which is they bookend this entire story of her going into the hall of fame and her getting her flowers with her inducting 
the first ever woman into the mm. Hall of Fame, Joe. This is the trouble with, I think, being a female wrestler is you are forever tarnished with the association of being a woman, just like the fabulous Moolah, who is a piece of shit scumbag. Could you, uh, too long, didn't read it for the folks who vaguely are aware of why Moolah's a piece of crap and don't really know the whys the, of it? The trouble is with the too long, didn't read version is it sounds made up, but I guess the short of it is she she basically had women who were in sexual servitude on her behalf that she kind of pimped out to, yeah. to other wrestlers, men, people, promoters. promoters, in exchange for for advantages for her own career. And so when people are wondering, like, how come like Moolah was like the kingpin of women's wrestling for so like decades upon decades? There you go. <laughs> basically evil incarnate. Yeah, there is quite a dark root to the like American women's wrestling, yeah. you know. And it would obviously start off the way you want to find out about the kind of history of American oh, yeah. women's wrestling and Mildred Burke and stuff like that. We covered a lot of that in the May Young episode. But absolutely, but, I think yeah. you can't really tell the story of how women's wrestling went multiple steps back without mentioning the fabulous Moolah. I just think it's crazy that like you can't be a woman in that WWE world mm. and not like kind of I think maybe now they'd be a bit more uh, cautious of it. I hope but so. But in, in 2015 you were expected yeah. to curtsy at the altar of oh, the, yeah. the most problematic woman in the history mm-hmm. of the business. And like even in her book she does mention you know, when she was starting off and training and stuff like that she's like oh you know there's two routes my life could have taken I could have went the route I went and I did it my own way or I could have ended up doing stuff with Moolah's girls. And let's just say I dodged a bullet there. And it's mm. like, you know, it's it's just this like awful open secret that people acknowledge but can't bring themselves to like let the words come out of their mouth. Yeah. I thought since her passing that maybe people would be a little bit more kind of like, all right now, let's 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 talk about it. Because there's a lot of very damaged women out there as a result Absolutely, of it. Absolutely, But yes. I, I think the billion dollar company doesn't want to have that chat just yet. Possibly ever. Yeah. Even if Snickers gets really upset with them. I am surprised, you know, I, I think it's probably a long shot to hope that WWE themselves expose her, but I am disappointed in the wider wrestling media landscape or the wider media landscape full stop that there hasn't been a big expose on Moolah. I mean, you had to do your dark side of the ring and I think that's as, as close that's as we're going it, to get. That's it though, isn't like... it? It's like, what, a 40-minute episode? Like, there's so much that yeah. she's done. It's really hard to sort of distill it down and that's a, it, it's interesting as well because you know, we're, we're looking at someone who exemplifies the forgotten period of, of women's wrestling yeah. in, in Medusa and it's like they can't show you that story WWE without at least first going oh don't forget Moolah of course yeah. we owe it all to Moolah and that mm-hmm. was kind of the extent of women's wrestling history before the Attitude Era it was, there was Mae Young and Moolah mm-hmm and they were there for ages, folks, and that was it. Yeah, I, they invented women's wrestling. I felt really bad for Alundra in this uh, in this instance here because it's like her career has literally nothing to do with with yeah. Mula, and she was actually the, one of the first examples of like, hey, you could be a woman and a superstar and have nothing to do with that fucking scumbag and do it on your own. And that's my point exactly: is that by being a woman, you are automatically associated with her. Yes, you have to be like, oh, she's mm-hmm. a trailblazer, isn't she? Like, and it's yeah. very intentional from both, you know. It was intentional on Moolah's part, and it's intentional on the WWE's part. It, mm. it was worked very nicely and benefited both very much. I think the WWE is always going to lean towards and always benefit from the the participation of legends, men or women, mm. who ideas like being in the Hall of Fame 
and having your legacy secured like that yeah. like you know and there's a few wrestlers out there not many of them who are like Sabu's really what I can think of where it's kind of like eh you know I've done it now my yeah. legacy's my legacy but the folks out there who like you know their place in history is important to them and mm. being remembered you know rightly so is important to them and I think it's safe to say that Medusa is one of those types of folks yeah. in, in the world of wrestling that being remembered by the fans and her contributions being acknowledged that's super fucking important for her well, and i think it's a you know not entirely but i think it is an old school thing mm. and i think it's a lot more common among the era of wrestlers that she would have come up with yeah if you look back at that generation of wrestlers they do all take it very seriously and it's probably partly because kayfabe was a secret mm-hmm. and partly because it was i mean you were hazed out of the industry more yeah, often than not. It was a true. very hard barrier to knock down. So by the time you get in, I think you kind of want to preserve your spot. I've done so many episodes with you now where we start off talking about someone's upbringing and it's like they had a hard home life or their family life mm. was, was, was a difficult, uh, was, was very difficult. And I don't know if that means you're more like likely to become a wrestler or that you are more likely to have a long career in wrestling or mm. whatever it is. Because in my mind, there's always this kind of like notion of like found family and stuff yeah, like that. Yeah, definitely. But um, I mean, they didn't really touch on much in the documentary, did they, about her family life and stuff like they that? They didn't mention it at all. Completely. Yeah. The, yeah, I think she she mentioned when she first started. It was a bit rough. That training. Was like. Yeah. But that's as early as we as we got. So there's a lot in her book about the difficulty of her relationship with her parents or what she thought were her parents as well. And it's quite a confusing story because with Medusa, a lot of what is taken as fact about her is stuff that was kind of wrongly reported on in like, you know, 1991 in a fan profile and then was taken from there to kind of be read as truth. Mm. For instance, Medusa Michelli, as, as she was known, it was report for ages that she was Italian. Is Medusa her real name? No, uh, Medusa is a name that she came up with and oh. she trademarked immediately before she began wrestling. Whoa! Because Medusa, and we had a few people tweeting kind of go, oh, it's so crazy that it was like Mad USA. It's like, well, she wanted to be made in the USA, Medusa. That's so cool. Trademarked it. She got, you know, big bucks from that, let's just say. You know, she, she, it was one of the few women who owned her gimmick basically back wow, in the day. That's incredible. You know, really, really smart. But yeah, with regards to her surname, because she was called Medusa Michelli, you know, in AWA and a lot of her early haunts, her father was Michelli. Mm. And his family, even though he was, he was, you know, second or third generation, his family was originally from Italy. Mm. But it turns out that that father wasn't her father at all. Mm. And also the person who she, that person, Michelli, who she thought was her father, he abused her as a child. Right. And she only found out way, way later that he wasn't her father at all. Right. And she like, only when she was in her 50s or thereabouts, she found out who her father actually was. Oh, okay. And he had died like early 90s or late oh. 80s. He was a soldier, whatever it was. Oh, really? But that's showing you the degree. There was secrecy yeah. within that family. There was all this chat in her book about there being like shared partners between her mother and her aunts and maybe even some of her grandparents. Her mother, you know, she basically generously says in the book that if her mother was born in this day and age, she would be you know, diagnosed with something, let's just say. Right. Whereas back in the day, she was just like considered to be a bad mother. She kept trying to leave her behind in the hospital, like oh. when she was born. 
you know, and you, know, you hear about postnatal depression and yeah, stuff like that. It felt absolutely. like it kind of never went away. So she was essentially raised by her grandmother. And if you want to talk about a stereotypical cool grandmother, granny loved motorbikes, <laughs> big fat hogs. And at 90 years young, granny is still riding her fat Harley to Sturgis every year. Wow. So that's like that aspect, that kind of tomboyish or gearhead or mm. <laughs> petrol nut, that comes from that side. So there was some happiness there, but obviously... You know, if you are being abused by a man who you're wrongly told is your father for many years and it's been kept a secret from you, like, that's just fucking, yeah. that's messed up. You know, she was talking about, you know, fending for herself from a very young age, basically. Yeah. So, I don't know. At this point, I always kind of refer to you. Is that is that upbringing mean, like, well, wrestling's there for you? Is that a good thing? Is that a bad thing? I don't know what it is. Is that draws people in somehow if you have that kind of you know troubled backstory for lack of a better term it sounds like she had a really good parent figure in her granny yeah so i mean it's not like the case of like you know roddy piper or or jake roberts where they didn't have anyone to talk to um she wasn't like growing up on the streets like yeah ken or roddy or whatever it was that we had although i'm sure there are elements of her life she wanted to escape from it's not like she had nowhere to go unlike certain other people who have made their way into the business but I, th- I always think it's like, if you can eat shit, I think you can be a wrestler. Yeah. I think it definitely helps. I don't think it's a case of if you're abused or traumatized, you know, you should become a wrestler. I think it's more, it's just growing up in an upbringing like that gives you certain skills that are really transferable, helpful. Transferable. Absolutely yeah. transferable. Yeah. 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 So she starts into a whole array of athletic pursuits She's doing things like uh, she's a demonstrator in a gym. She's working in gymnastics. She's doing professional dance. She's doing all these different things. She's just kind of, you know, vaguely trying to pursue a career doing stuff. I think at one point she was actually even training to be a nurse, but she dropped out. Mm. She tells a story, like, really, that just kind of exemplifies how hard it is in the early 80s as a woman to try and make it in kind of a looks-based business. She shows up for a meeting to maybe get signed to a modeling agency and like the manager is there with her assistant and the manager doesn't even speak to her and the assistant just looks through her stuff and goes, yeah, sorry, your nose is way too big. You should probably give up on this. So that was it. No modeling. The fuck like? Yeah. Jeez. Uh, I don't think they minced words in the uh, world of modeling back in the early 80s, it would seem. The sad thing is, I think stuff like that still happens. Oh, yeah. I mean, it was definitely happening when I was a teenager. I don't know if wrestling would do that. If they go, sorry, your nose is too big to become a wrestler. Or your your boobs aren't big enough to be a wrestler. I know I... Leah got flack for having a tattoo and stuff like that. I think it definitely happens. Probably... Absolutely. You know, like, um, almost recently had his teeth done. Yeah, that's true. I can only we, we, imagine... We had a little debate about that on the Patreon. I can only imagine someone, you know, talent relations was like... I, I don't think it's a case of that they're going, oh, you can't be a wrestler with that. It's more like, hey, so uh, what do you think about... Uh... What do you think about this? Yeah. Giving them this, their yeah, idea type of a thing. Exactly. We'll pay for it Yeah, we'll as pay well, for it, obviously. You know. <laughs> and it will probably make you a bigger star, so... Yeah. But the choice is yours. But of course, this difference here is that when you're trying to become a model, no one's offering you a nose job or no. anything like that. It's just they're showing you the fucking door, yeah. basically. Stamping on your dreams. And funny enough, uh, she does mention, you know, several times in the book, wasn't a fan of wrestling growing up at all. Like, didn't watch it at all like she the wow. first wrestling match she saw was the one that she was basically in you know Whoa. and which is funny because she's from robbinsdale minnesota which is literally like considered the hotbed of like 
wrestlers. So how on earth did she get into wrestling then? She had a friend who was involved in gymnastics as well. Mm. And her husband was involved tangentially in some independent wrestling that was going around. And, you know, she thought he was hitting on her, except she's like, well, she wouldn't be hitting on me because his girlfriend is right here in front of me. And he's like, yeah, you look great. You've got a great figure. He was commenting on the fact that when she would do her gymnastics classes, the gear and stuff that she wore was like really modern and cool and sexy. And he was like, you know, if you went into this wrestling thing, you could probably do very, very well for yourself. She literally thought he meant like mud wrestling. Like it was going to be like, you know resting in some dive bar for like you know tips or whatever it is and she was down for that she was like i'll give it a go you know <laughs> and that was kind of interesting very much kind of like oh I'll, I'll give it a go is was very yeah. much uh, you know she'll do anything and that's kind of stood her very well in her career so she ends up getting into this world of wrestling through this guy who knows a guy who knows a trainer and she does end up getting trained by a guy called ed sharkey who would have been like one of the the big um, known names in minnesota you know a lot of Big names like Ravishing Rick Rude and Ric Flair and the Road Warriors, they all came from Minnesota. So, you know, good stock and all that. But, um, yeah, she wrestled her first match for $5. Wow. And she didn't really know what she was doing. Yeah. And I think the best way to describe it is we've had many occasions on this podcast where someone has their first match and doesn't know that it's a work. But it feels like her first match, she didn't know it was a work. And the person she was wrestling also didn't know that it was (laughs) a work. It was two women kind of slightly trepidatious but she got noticed quite quickly on that scene because she was wearing you know these modern sexy outfits and that's not me kind of ascribing that to her that's yeah, how yeah. she was describing it in her book because i mean there was a certain look or a certain style to women's wrestlers back in the day let's just say mm. i mean we saw in the in the uh the may young episode the the ring attire that the women would usually wear in the, the 70s and 60s and early 80s. Yeah, it's difficult to explain because it's not... It sounds so similar to what would look good, but yet there's little tweaks that make it look bad. It's it's kind of like a swimsuit. Yeah, but, but swimsuits like, are great, swimsuits right? Are great, exactly. Like, and Medusa wore like something a bit like a swimsuit That's at true. points in her career, but yet hers look really good. So yeah, there's, there's distinct differences. Yes. So if you were one of Moolah's girls, you had to wear the special singlet, which was kind of lowish down on the upper thigh. Mm. And I didn't realize this. And I, I'm sorry. I, I always learn something new about women's fashion. That's like, what? No pockets. <laughs> what? This is sore. What? These are not. This is just sewn on on the coat. But you had to have like a special shoestring that was in each leg hole. Mm. And you'd wrap it around and you'd pull it and go oh. tight. So you know the way when you see the old timey lady wrestlers and they would have kind of like this almost pinching motion on the upper thighs. Yeah. It's because Mula didn't want any butt cheek or upper thigh to slip out. So you had to tie it down tight. And apparently the women would complain because you come back and you have these like, your fucking legs would be red raw. That's Can you imagine so that? so like, bad for circulation. I know, right? So like, if you wear tight enough out. pants, it would be sore. Yeah. Imagine someone tying a fucking shoelace around your thigh. Now, why do you think that is? Why is, like, Mula, and why is this, like, kind of, like, a mafia-like control over women's wrestling being, like, you better not show any of that upper thigh. Why are we tying women's legs down? Even though she's going out of her way, probably, to source young, athletic, good-looking girls. Yeah. What's what's the deal then? I think I remember hearing that it was something to do with, like, she didn't trust her husband around the girls. Fucking hell. Because she was, he was apparently very heavily involved in the whole production yes. of her company, and 
Yeah, apparently he was a piece of shit too. Oh, what? Really? What a surprise. Wow. Behind every piece of shit in wrestling, there's usually yeah. another piece of shit exactly. as well. <laughs> um, so I think it was like partly an element of like control in terms of like a sort of conservative, like, oh, women shouldn't show off their bodies type thing. And also I think she was uh, trying to stop her husband's wandering eye. It's the absolutely ridiculous, hilariously contradictory puritanical streak that runs through uh, wrestling in America at the time, which is all like the idea is that all the promoters think that all the women who are getting into wrestling are all like just there to sleep around and to ruin it and to fuck up the boys and all uh, the the, the great the precious boys club imagine that there should be a character who who's just like yeah i'm here to fuck it up for everyone (laughs) (laughs) it doesn't even make sense i know but this is the thing it's like so all the women who are coming into wrestling, all the promoters and all the top guys are like, right, they're all here to like ruin it, basically. Yeah, ruin with, it for me. With their sexuality. Yeah. So to make sure that doesn't happen and we don't have the impression of that, Moolah's like, right, you better tie the fuck out of your upper thighs yeah. so nothing slips out. So no one can point at you and go, look, you're being sexual. Yeah. So it's kind of to reinforce also at the this same time, misogynistic thought, we have to go this weird puritanical streak as well. I, it's like, wow, both at the same time. Yeah, I wonder if partly it was like a cover-up for, you know, the fact that she was, as we said earlier, like she she had girls in, in sexual servitude. Yeah. So I think having this cover of like, oh, but me, I'm so yeah. conservative. My girls don't show any yeah. upper thigh, like, so mm-hmm. it's okay. Now, we saw a lot of footage of early days Medusa, and let's just say she was not tying her upper thighs. Oh, there's a lot of upper thigh there. Wow, yeah. Uh, the upper <laughs> thigh never ends. <laughs> and you might think, oh, it's 2023. We're all we're all familiar with the high-cut swimsuit. Like, go back to the mid-80s. Yeah, no, the 80s had it down. They were, like, under your armpits. I it was so highly it. cut. Why can- Bring that back. And I want that. It's something that I kind of, you know, love about her. And I think it's one of my favourite things about her. And not many women have managed to do this, like, at that time period, which is, like, you know, to own the sexy side of wrestling, mm. but still, you know, be a serious competitor and do things their way. They're doing it because they want to do it, not because they're being told to. Yeah. There's all this great footage we saw of, like, her doing these really early days matches where, like, the referee is trying to, you know, like check her you know for like foreign objects in her knee pads and stuff and she's wearing these like outrageous fucking gymnast outfits and she gets all like pissed off at him like hits him she starts like (laughs) patting him down like pulling on his trousers and stuff like that she is like honestly she had a a gimmick even there that was like Mm -hmm. if you did it these days i mean there is people doing stuff like that oh yeah absolutely yeah she's she's absolutely the prototype for a lot of current day women's wrestling but i just thought you know oh Alundra Blaze, the serious wrestler, she was all about just women being taken seriously and kicking ass in the ring. She's like, no, like she, one of her early battles was like, why the fuck can't we have cool hair and like cool makeup and like, you know, all this fashion you're seeing all around you in the 80s. Let's have that. And that's like got her quite a, quite an notoriety early on. AWA, which was one of the big companies out of Minnesota at the time, they were kind of in their, their dying days that was the company where you would have had Hulk Hogan coming from and Mean Gene and Bobby Heenan, all big, big names. And they started adding women into the roster, thinking that that was a way to add variety to the shows. And like in the documentary, they were they talked like Scott Hall and people like that about the kind of perception that the boys had about women's wrestling. Mm. And it wasn't particularly flattering or nice. No. They were like, it's a novelty. Yeah. You know? Or a, nice, best, really. a nice distraction or whatever it is. Yeah. Which is, yeah. Because it's not like any of them dislike her. They all 
speak very fondly of her and she's yeah. obviously a close friend of theirs but yeah it's just it wasn't really not that it wasn't taken seriously but it just wasn't really respected in the same way that men's wrestling was it's always been on a different level yeah and when you're that element of a show like you know we watched the awa and there were a lot of empty seats in the audience let's mm. just say so you're kind of quite low down but she mentions getting paid it was like $800 for her first big match there. Wow. And she was like, that's it. Like, everything's going to be good from now on. Wrestling is where I'm going to make make my way in the mm. world, you know? Now, we're going to go and look at a match from her run in the AWA when she is, uh, to use the term affectionately, greener than goose shit. <laughs> and this is involving someone else we've done an episode on, and I was very happy to see her on my screen again. Medusa versus Sherry Martel. This is at the AWA Super Clash, number two in 1987. And not for the AWA Women's Championship, because that doesn't exist. This is the AWA Ladies Championship. Ooh. Now, Joe, as a woman, yeah. as a lady, mm. um, I, I, I would like to know why is it that it seems so condescending when they refer to it as a ladies title well. as opposed to a women's championship? Okay, what, what's the equivalent for men? Of what, of a lady? Yeah. Gentleman. Okay, where's the gentleman's title? Oh, man, now there's a championship. I like, <laughs> seriously. No, because it would be full of Brit res people. <laughs> yeah, that's it. No, we're nice guys. <laughs> we're not, my gentleman's in my name. I have to be nice, right? <laughs> mm. Yeah, that's it. We'll, we'll, book, we'll book a 30-man battle royale for yeah. the gentleman's championship and then just drop a cage down <laughs> top of them. Police! <laughs> Get them! <laughs> So is is that is just the late? Is it meant to? It brings forth a genteel notion. Is that it? No, it's just it's. It always comes back to, in my view, I can't speak for on behalf of all women or even on behalf of feminism itself. But for me, it's always about equality, and there is no, there's no really equivalent to referring to women as like ladies. Well, at least they didn't call it the AWA Female Championship. That's female. A female Championship. <laughs> <laughs> now, let me tell you, I was definitely happy to see Sherry Martel back on screen. In her book, she described wrestling Sherry as being something of a struggle because Sherry didn't really want to either A, cooperate, or B, really let her in on any of the nuances of how to actually have a match with someone. Right. Very kind of protective of her spot because I don't think there were many women in the AWA at the time. But man, the heat that Sherry Martel has with oh, this yeah. crowd. But she's amazing. They didn't stop chanting Sherry sucks the entire yeah. time. I mean, but she is like the epitome of that old school style of wrestling heel. Yeah. In that she, you know, she's there, she's lying, cheating, she's pulling the hair. She's swearing at kids. Right, kids doing stuff behind the ref's back. Like it all goes back to like that classic interview Bobby Heenan did about how a really good heel doesn't need to take any bumps. Yeah, that's true. And she, she does very few she in this match. Few, yeah. You can see like the frustration building up in Medusa Michelli mm. in this one that she's kind of like not really sure what to make of Sherry, who seems more interested in wrestling with the thoughts and emotions of the crowd, who start pelting her with trash at one point, yeah. which I was quite impressed that they got him into that state of anger. Uh, did you enjoy Sherry's boy toy that she brought out with her? Quite oh, yeah. a cut below Shawn Michaels, this lad. Doug Summers. Doug Summers, that, yeah. whose mouth is agape for the entire contest. He's catching yeah. flies. Just, Pretty boy Doug Summers. He's not. No. He is. It's like a pretty. You don't see the flowers embossed in his jacket. Don't get much prettier than mm. that, Joe. Yeah. Okay. Now, I was kind of interested in seeing this just from what was 
know, this is one of the few American outlets that were showing you women's wrestling like on a big stage yeah. at the time. So I kind of wanted to see like what the standard was like. Mm-hmm. How do you think they got on? Like, what what do you think? Like Medusa, she maybe had half a year to a year's worth of experience under her belt at this point. It's hard in this match to separate what is skill and what is kind of um, decisions. Decisions? Well, like the decision of, of how to put on a match. Because right. Because like this match, my main issue with it is that it's kind of like the psychology, I guess, of it. Mm. I don't know if you call it that, maybe, but like the fact that there's a lot of um, a lot of arm work, a lot of leg work, a lot of stretch holds. Yeah, there's a lot of, a lot of that. Like Sherry works the arm for like yeah, most of the match, which I'm yeah. fine with, and I love all that stuff. My issue is that they don't sell it, and yeah. I think if you're gonna spend, if well, it felt like ten minutes working the arm, and then they just like continue on as normal lifting the opponent up by their head and, and I stuff. think there's the inexperience factor there that has that kind of like oh it's time for my move now. But it's not you know? just. Med- do you, sir, yeah, who Sherry, is, well. Sherry does it as well. And Sh- Sherry has, like, at least, what, nearly 10 years' experience at this point, right? Yeah, well, she, like, she has good few years under good her belt. Years, yeah, yeah. yeah. So I don't know if inexperience is the excuse or if they're not cooperating or what it is. Or maybe, as I said, maybe it's a decision that they made. Yeah, there's a few moments where the uncooperative spirit of this match comes mm. to the forefront. I think there's one moment when Sherry has her in, like, a leg scissors and... <laughs> I don't know why she does it, other than to be really sore and horrible, but she gets the bend of her elbow and just starts jabbing it into Medusa's side. Yeah. And it's as if it's a big moment that makes the crowd go, whoa! But like when you're prone and your arms are up over your head and you can't see and someone starts digging you and you're f- the small of yeah, your back. It's horrible. It's really horrible. And there's but a f- like, kind few of... times when the hair is being pulled. I think well, both, oh of my those, God. both of those, if William Regal did it, it would be like, you're a genius. Yeah, Regal. that's true. That's how you work a match. That's how you, that's how you do heel work. Yeah, yeah, that's true. I, 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 <laughs> I, like, I, I'm not disagreeing that it's not nasty and it doesn't suck, but it's also those essential heel moves that are relatable to a crowd. Yes, and I think that Sherry is very much someone who you probably wouldn't want to wrestle basically from the from the basis of that because there's a lot of like horrible moments like that throughout the match and I think it's quite exemplified by when Medusa Michelli comes out her hair is this big feathery like 80s like she looks like she's done a pop video in the 80s basically yeah. like it or like you'd go into like a salon and that hair would be on like a sun damaged <laughs> picture and you go that please and I'd say within three minutes like Sherry has twisted it, pulled mm. it, stamped on it, bitten it, whatever she she's biting her fingertips at one yeah. point as well. It's fucking nasty. But I don't think it comes across as like the old school cat fighty type wrestling. It feels no. much more like a fight than well, it does a cat fight. Medusa isn't wrestling that style back. You know, because she's not a heel in this match, she's a face. So she's doing the more kind of like I mean, she has a couple of really big spots in this match. She does um I forget what it's called, but I always associate it with Cesaro with that spin. Oh, she was the airplane spin, yeah. The airplane spin, yeah. Hell yes. It's amazing. Yeah, she's got um she's got core strength to spin that fast. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh one thing that was particularly peculiar about this, going back in time, was hearing the announcers who were so trepidatious talking about women on commentary and it just reminds you of kind of like i don't know your dad or something trying to be like well i watched the beyonce concert last week and i had a few thoughts and, no dad no 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 did you catch any of the uh clangers on commentary that they had i didn't make note of any i know that they were a little bit horny 
But, but I think they're a bit more respectful than I thought they'd be. Yeah, there was one line which was, Medusa Michelli, she's so hot it makes your teeth sore. <laughs> and then it's like, all right, you can actually hear the guy going, ah, as he said. Oh. And uh, another one from Ray the Crippler Stevens, Sherry, she's one tough lady, but she's also a pretty lady. And you got to respect that. <laughs> But yes, we did get the fantastic airplane spin at the end. Dirty Doug comes up on the ring apron to distract the referee and Sherry rolls up Medusa with the tights and Sherry picks up the win. Medusa chases her into the emptiest part of the arena and you just imagine Vern Gagne backstage going, No! We set up this shot so hard to make it seem like there were people here. But this was like, I guess... Wasn't expecting it to be like a fabulous five-star match. This was more kind of, I guess, a bit of a time capsule yeah. of like, this is the backdrop on which her canvas of a career is going to be painted. Yeah. So how did you get on at the AWA in the ladies wrestling contest? I'll be honest, I did not like this match. Did not care for it in the slightest. Um, I gave it one star because I think it has it had a lot of potential. Because I really like that heel style of work that Sherry was doing. Mm. And I really like that style of like map-based stretch holds and working the arms and the legs and things. But that's only one half of a match. And yeah, I feel if you just do that and there's not the selling to go with no, it. Yeah, there's no payoff then. Then it's not a story then. Now it's I've just, got like yeah. selling blue balls. So <laughs> I didn't like that. And also I didn't like that after the airplane spin, Sherry immediately just jumps back up. And gets the roll-up. Yeah, the, the uncooperative spirit of the match again there. Like, that's shit. Yeah. If that happened in the 90s, that, like, there'd be shoot interviews going around. It'd be an incident. Yeah, yeah, yeah. absolutely. Yeah. yeah, I just think it's very interesting that you can see here that there's some sort of a constraint on them in terms of, like, you know, they're not throwing punches. You know, they're, they're, they're oh, not... yeah, of course they're not allowed, are they, at this point? I mean, that was always a WWE, like, kind of Divas Championship era oh, thing. Really? You know, okay. the forearms or whatever yeah. it was. But, like, you know, they're not wrestling like the men. This is, like, presented to you as, like, kind of wrestling asterisk. Like, they, they do these certain types of moves. There's a lot more, kind of more, like, rolling as opposed mm. to, like, there ain't a lot of slams. There's not a lot of yes. bumps in this. That's true. Well, then again, at the same time, Sherry is, like... She's the ladies' champion. She's like probably one of the best talkers that they have. She's a valet for you know other guys. So probably her going out there and bumping a million times isn't what they wanted to have. It's probably not what anyway. she wanted either. No, and I don't know if I'm really too much into it, but I would see a lot of folks see a Medusa come in, this newbie into your into your locker room. And this is something that's always happened in, in wrestling in America with the women. It's like they keep that locker room to like two or three women. Mm. So when the fourth one comes in, all of a sudden there's tension. Right. You know, either someone thinks their spot is going to be taken or someone thinks that person thinks their spot's going to be taken. It's so and it's weird. Just, yeah. I don't understand that because surely that just means more people for you to wrestle. But you can't wrestle yourself and you can't keep wrestling the same people. So why would you not want the division to grow? I think that she was really really smart with how she you know there's a lot of folks I think Eric Bischoff was also in this group and I guess Paul Heyman was as well where a lot of folks saw this company the AWA that's glory days were definitely long since past mm. 
but they were there and they were able to to learn enough and they were able to make enough connections and like she met paul Heyman there in uh in awa i love him talking about the first time he met her so funny because he the bit he didn't mention the documentary was that he wanted to hit on her that was he saw her at the bar and he's like well time time to go make a first impression and then she turns to him and goes hi nice to meet you don't fuck with me yes i'm medusa but you can call me deborah don't fuck with me. <laughs> and that is after Paul Heyman went, hi, I'm Paul Heyman, but I play a character called Polly Dangerously. <laughs> kind of a big deal here in the Dangerous Alliance. Uh, phone. Yeah, it's, uh, it's very funny. And Bischoff was there as well at the time, you mm. know, being a, a, a young boy in the world of, of wrestling. So she learned a lot there and she gained a lot there, I think. And something that she figured out very quickly, and I think it's from the kind of background she had of, you know, modeling and gymnasts and acrobatics and stuff. She was like the first woman in the country to have a fan club for herself. Wow. So it was like, you know, send away X amount of dollars a month. You get a, a eight by 10 of Medusa looking sexy. No wonder Heyman likes her so much. Oh, she's a fucking she's marketer. got like. that brain, that business brain of like how to understand like ownership of your own assets. I mean, if someone in 2023 was like, hey, I'm starting wrestling mm. and I've got this killer name. Don't worry, I've already got it trademarked. I've got like someone set up, you know, to run the equivalent of a fan club, yeah. social media, whatever it may be. That's like more successful than like most wrestling. Yeah, but imagine doing that in the mid eighties. No, that's no internet. So wild. Who tells you to do that? Yeah. Like, where'd you get? That's a just smart business. It's really clever. Yeah. The other thing that she did really early in her career, this this fucking did gangbusters business for her was that she did a photo shoot and she like took all these super hot bikini shots and like her in the gym, you know, fl- you know, working out with her mm-hmm. big guns and all that jazz. And then she got some of the best pictures. She went to, do you remember back in the day you'd go to a Virgin or a Tower Records or a H&V and they'd have the big thing of posters and there'd be like a hundred different ones and you get the code in the top and you go down oh, below. Oh, I miss that. Great, great stuff. Elder yeah. millennials here reminiscing about big pieces of paper we used to buy for a fiver. I to bring that back. She contacted those poster companies directly yeah. and said, hey, look, I've got like two or three of these super hot picks. It's a Medusa, made in the USA, all American girl. You want to buy them? And... They started stocking her posters. Wow. And they didn't stock them because she was a wrestler. They didn't stock them because she was, you know, on Super Clash. They just stocked them because she was a hot babe. <laughs> and, you know, how many times when you're scrolling through going, oh, yeah, there's Attack on Titan, there's a babe, there's yeah. Minecraft, there's a babe, you know. And she she made her, she did her Cauliflower Alley Club speech. And her husband was like, you know, like many of you in the audience, I first met my wife by buying this super hot poster when I was in Target. <laughs> They were all over the country. So yeah. she had like a nationwide grip straight away. That's incredible. And then what, you're flicking through the TV channels or you're at a live show and you see her name. Just like the paper on yeah. my wall. <laughs> <laughs> like, that's amazing. Like, that's, that's, yeah. that's, I don't know what the equivalent of that is these days, you know. I don't think there is one. I don't think so, no. you know. So she is in the AWA for a couple of years and towards the end of the AWA's run, they decide that they're going to go and do a little bit of business with the folks at All Japan Women's Wrestling. And they wanted to bring over, for the first time ever, a gaijin. They wanted an American lady to come over and wrestle with some of their stars. And they did a tryout match with her and one of their top women. And, you know, they had it on one of the AWA shows. It worked out really well. They were impressed. Immediately, it was like the AWA people were like, all right, yeah, we're, we're kind of finished with that now. Don't worry about it. You're going to come back here. And then she was straight away into negotiations with them. 
because they wanted her over there. Now, do you remember any of the weird kind of rules about all Japan women's wrestling? Because we did it, obviously, in the Manami Toyota episode. A little bit maybe came up in the Awesome Kong episode. And I know we did our pay-per-view classic. We did an all Japan women's show. But there are some strange cultural rules, let's just say. The main one that always sticks with me, which I think was only gotten rid of, like, 15 years ago or something was the rule that they had to retire at age 26 it's 25 20, 25 sorry yeah. okay yeah which is wild because medusa was 26 when she signed what? with them so like she's coming in and she's like you know probably is less experienced than most of the the girls there yeah. and she's a year older than the age where the red jewel is flashing in your hand and you're meant to stop wrestling so like. how come that was allowed then that she was allowed when she was over the age limit but Japanese wrestlers have to retire. Because they thought that she was a special attraction. You know, they thought that it would do big business for them. And, you know, if you look over in the men's side of things, you know, Vader, who someone will probably do an episode on relatively soon, Stan Henson, you know, Bruiser Brody. These are all like gaijin who came over, Americans, and they like did huge business because it was just like something different. Yeah. You know, I don't think the idea was for her to come over and be like, ah, I'm from America, like run through the crowd and scare everyone. Mm. She was meant to be the blonde-haired, all-American, supermodel, good-looks, athletic, yeah. muscly babe. And that's what they wanted, because it was, you know, late 80s, early 90s. That was very much the style. Can't imagine what it's like to move to Japan if you've never left, like, the country. Yeah. You know, that's a, a bit of a change of pace, did, you know? Did she talk much about her time in Japan? She said that, like, it, basically everything became downsized, you know? Mm. She ended up becoming, you know, losing a lot of possessions because your room is so small you're living with you know all the other women here you're, you're training with essentially is she a young girl uh not really no mm. she did have her own she had her own apartment oh, right. you know but it was in the complex you know where they did the training and the other girls lived and all that she wasn't expected to like you know pick up trash and like you know stub people's cigarettes and stuff Wash like that her mentor but yeah but you know there was a lot of that kind of you know you're on the lower end of the spectrum or whatever it is. And like talking about how all the women, you know, kind of got along, you know, how they would be on these bus tours for like weeks on end. And like, they would have two seats on the bus and that would be like, that's your living space for the next week. And like, you'd come on board and everyone would have all their underwear all hung up on little clothes pegs. They'd all wash them in the sink and then take them onto the bus. You know, you'd have to wash your gear on the bus. Mm -hmm. Everyone's just kind of tiny. and And you know, Medusa ain't a tiny lady. Yeah. You know, she's probably got another half a foot on most of the other folks around yeah, there for sure but the training was brutal like you know they wake up at the crack of dawn they're doing knuckle push-ups no as they're you know, running up a mountain you know they'd be filming it all the time as well because of course with all japan women's you're wrestling you're like a an idol essentially so they want to see every aspect of your life what so they're running up the mountain you know people carrying them on their backs being filmed you know because it's going to be shown on a video package about how tough all the the women are there's one story she told when another gaijin came over and they were given a snake to look after mm. and it got cold. So they were like, uh-oh, the snake's going to die. So they put it on a radiator and the snake died. Yeah, of course it did. And as a result, the promoters came in, they freaked out because apparently the snake dying was like, a you know, bad bad vibes let's just say to put it very colloquially yeah and they had to go to a, a special mountain shrine to bury it and do this whole ceremony and it took like hours and hours and hours wow. and yeah i mean it, it was definitely a culture shock for her i mm. think as it would be for for anyone yes but she you know she kind of did what she was asked and 
I think one of her first days there, she had like really bad food poisoning. She had like the chills and she was completely like completely shaking. And, you know, she dunked her head in a bucket of ice and just went out and wrestled anyway. And straight away, like, all the promoters like, she's legitimate, she's serious. <laughs> you know, you prove yourself through doing, you yeah, know, acts of like machismo or whatever it is. I do think, you know, uh, as sacred and uh, respected and all as it is, I do think it's kind of, by modern standards, kind of fucked up. The oh, whole training absolutely. System, I mean, you know. yeah, it's impressive, no doubt, but it's unnecessary. There's no sense of the kind of the weirdness or the coercion or things like that that Kong talked about when she was there. Yeah. But I think the difference between a black woman and a white woman in Japan and being in there in the... Definitely. You know, it's probably going to make a difference in that respect. Mm-hmm. So there was a lot that she did in Japan. Uh, she was straight away wrestling a much more physical style and it was like, you know, upping her game essentially. She was wrestling the likes of Lioness Asuka and someone else who we've seen a few times before in the podcast, Aja Kong. Ah! What do you remember about Aja Kong, Joe? She's scary. Isn't she? What's scary about Aja Kong? Describe her to me. I don't know. Even, I've never actually known or met anyone like this, but in my head, like, she's the the stereotypical school bully. Like, she just (laughs) carries herself like a school bully. She's just really intimidating. And like also the way she looks is frightening. Like she's got a yeah. green mohawk at this point. The and face paint. The face paint, yeah. Name shaved into her head. The face paint I find scary because it reminds me of the ultimate warrior who <laughs> is also like a high school bully. But um, yeah, she just carries herself really confidently. And the way she has like such confidence like in her own body, the way she slams her opponents around, she's very... And it's funny to say because it's wrestling, but she wrestles a very physical style it's it is a scariness there there is a scariness you know, there yeah i think we try, and she never know. she never smiles or anything no. she's always serious very stoic yeah it's there's something about her there's like a danger element with her you know mm. i think the closest person i could compare her to is probably as we mentioned vader or yeah. someone like that or maybe even like you know we mentioned the bradshaw episode there's a lot of you know folks like that where that becomes part of the gimmick where mm. you have this aura about you that you hit them a little bit harder and, you know, Medusa was, was game for anything in Japan. And that was kind of, you know, being in the new country, I think, was very liberating for her because it was just like a blank canvas, basically. Yeah. So, you know, they were approaching her and being like, hey, do you want to do this, like, kickboxing match? And she was like, uh, okay. Which then, of course, gets, you know, translated in an interview in an after bag years later. And it's like, oh, she's like an all-star world champion, super, oh, the greatest no. kickboxer in the world. And she's like, I did, like, one or two fights, I think, you know, when oh. she was in Japan. But, you know, she was put in these matches with Aja Kong. We're going to watch the third in the series. But they put her in these matches that were like, basically, hey, this is a martial arts fight, this one we're going to do. Or this one's like, you know, a shoot fight. Which is interesting because she did mention in the documentary that part of her training in Japan involved a lot of martial arts. Yes. Involved... And did like meditation stuff like yeah. that as well. Like, so it was very holistic, you but know. I, I do find that fascinating how, I don't know if it's still done that way in Japan, but like that... Um, the idea that wrestling can take and be inspired by so many different other types of sports oh, and yeah, combat. They, they do like you know, mixed martial arts and stuff as standard in a lot of the dojos. It's yeah. so clever because yeah. it gets you so used to like, you know, they're, they're, of course it's How really you adaptable. Move, like you if know? you watch an action movie, they'll yeah. switch between like standard punching and kicking and mar- various martial arts at the, you know, the flip of a hat. That's not an expression, is it? But I'm deciding it is one now. <laughs> if, if, if flip of a hat is an expression... I'll eat my hash and then flip it afterwards, okay? So this takes us to All Japan Women's Wrestling in 1990 as Medusa takes on 
Aja Kong in a street fight and uh, martial arts sorry a fight. martial arts mm. street fight and you know what sometimes you get recommended a match a lot and there's a hype surrounding it and this is you know this is definitely one of them and when Medusa came out I got just I was immediately covered in goosebumps just it's iconic because of how she looked mm-hmm. what she was wearing just the immediate vibe this woman was not the bright-eyed lady with cool hair and a sexy costume we saw back in the AWA getting her foot in the door. This was someone completely different. I mean, I I think this is very sexy. Oh, yeah, in, yeah. In the, like, this is the female equivalent of the Dustin Rhodes yes! street fight look where he's wearing his jeans and his, his, his white t-shirt and his cowboy boots. She looks like a really sexy trucker. She's got the, like, the, the she's got the, the gloves on her for, yes. for doing the martial arts. Ripped jeans. The jeans are, like, all ripped open. She's Baseball got, cap. Yes. Her hair's all wet and slicked back. But it's short as well it's really short she looks and i mean this like as a compliment she looks fucking terrified yeah but not like i don't know what i'm doing it's like i'm about to go and get the shit beaten out of me and my only hope is i can hopefully do as much damage as i'm about to invariably receive i love that about aja kong is she always brings that out in her opponents because she is so scary (laughs) it just it, it made me realize like so many times like the immediate vibe of a match and like the the anticipation your feelings for it how receptive you'll be to the story they're going to tell you it's like man when they come through that curtain that's what it's all about and like when she was straight away i was like yes i get this this is going to be a bloody incredible bout you know i have to quickly mention before we move on that Medusa is wearing a t-shirt with a picture of her face on it. I love that. I love that too. I I love the homemade wrestling gear. As someone who also has a homemade t-shirt with my (laughs) face on it. Yeah, it's great. Yes, but do you have a second one on the outside? I need a second one. She's layered this up here, you know. (laughs) But yeah, big Dustin Rhodes, you know, a bunkhouse stampede vibe. Mm -hmm. Big Terry Funk going to wrestle in an exploding barbed wire deathmatch vibes, you know. Good look for all genders. Yes. It's just really solid. Bring it back, I say. But I, I can't think of, you know, this, how is this the same woman? I know, it's great. You know, and and that's why I think I've really enjoyed about this episode in particular is like seeing that evolution, mm. you know. And I can't think of someone where you kind of go, all right, two years from now, com- like tear it up the book, you know, because she's going to be completely different. And two years after this, completely different. Yeah. Two years after that, completely different again Mm -hmm. you know and it's not just oh she's showing you that she's a good serious wrestler and can do a good german suplex whatever no she's like madonna or someone or david bowie she evolves as time passes which is great because i think as a woman especially that's so important in an aesthetics business gotta keep moving and evolving fashion is always changing ideals are always changing and yeah you've got to keep moving yeah wwe i feel like a lot of the time with the women it's like well gotta make my hair longer yeah (laughs) that's it like you know it's probably because ask is the only one i think ask is the only one and even her i think women as a whole in the main wrestling promotions are told not to change their appearance because they want to keep selling the toys. Yeah, the people at 2K are like, I'm sorry, but you, yeah, you, you got to keep that hair, Bailey. <laughs> <laughs> Aja Kong is brought out on a plinth, but not like <laughs> sat down. She is stood up with her arms out wide. There's like 10 men having to carry <laughs> her. Oh my God. It's a dense lady. Just terrifying yeah. this, this like absolute like I, I hate the word is so associated with one or other wrestler but 
she comes across as a phenom, as this like yeah. very special entity. Final boss of of all Japan women's wrestling is is right here, right now. I was impressed at how sturdy she seemed on that plinth. As oh well. yeah, she she. I would be like you know, rocking around and like. Ooh. Yeah, I would be very unsteady on that. It looks know. like the plinth is part of her. Yeah, she's like she's locking it down. Yeah, she's confident. She knows that if anyone drops them, she'll probably kill them. <laughs> you know, so that's absolutely fine. And like as she's coming closer to the ring, you see like medusa like her breathing gets like quicker and quicker she's like starts like working herself up she goes through all these different emotions and like you know you're talking about some we saw this on youtube this match you know uh Mm. it's up there in a few different forms not the greatest video quality in the world no but it's fine but like when you can read the emotions that clearly Mm. on, on a kind of dusty old vhs quality that for me is like yeah. sign very very good performance indeed. And I love that Asha here with her green mohawk also is dressed in um, oh a camouflage old camo yeah fucking hell. So that's acceptable for a street fight now as well. You don't have to wear the denim. You can wear the camo as yeah. well. It seems you know, but only if you're particularly scary like Asha <laughs> is. So these ladies have got the gloves on, which means they're just gonna go swing for the fences. And swing for the fences, they absolutely do. There is an unstoppable amount of punches and elbows thrown. They, like, almost exhaust themselves immediately, just going as hard as they possibly can. Yeah. I always get, as well, frightened with the gloves. Um, Boxing gloves always have, like, a weird effect on me. Ever since I found out that... Um, you can get cut with them. You can get cut with them, yeah. Mm, yeah. And that sometimes you can actually end up getting hurt worse. Yeah, with... you, can, you can hurt your own wrists and stuff yeah, like that. Yeah, because you well. don't have. Because you assume you have a layer of protection, you go a lot harder, and actually they don't offer much protection as you might think. There is something really, really like, I don't know, gives me a chill when you have Medusa and she like lays in like 20 of these shots. She's just peppering away, trying to do anything. And then Aja Kong will come back and go, boom, give her one big one. And then like tap her on the bottom as yeah. if to say like everything you're doing is kind of pointless. Now, there is a kind of like debate and discussion because, you know, Medusa in her book, she's like, they didn't tell us what to do. We just went down and we did it, mm. you know. And there seems to be a degree of debate over how much of this is just them swinging for the fences and trying to hit each other for real. Mm. It didn't feel... I mean, there's obviously spots later on, but in the early goings of this match, it didn't feel very worked at all, let's just say. Yeah. It felt like very much like brawl for all, like, hey, the wrestlers are going to try and punch each other out. Let's see if they can. Yeah. It's a miracle no one got more severely hurt than, you know, than we saw. Yeah, absolutely. You know? The back fist from Aja Kong is one of the <sighs> scariest things in wrestling. She just pivots and goes, dunk. Yeah. I think Medusa takes like three of them to the face mm. in the match. Every time the audience is like, <gasps> big gasps. They make a big sound. Oh my god! Even gosh. with the gloves on. That ring is. Oh, it's horrible. Rock solid. There's a big suplex to deuce on that uh, on that floor. And it looks my like it's god. made of perspex or something. That's it. Like I think hard. concrete would have some give <laughs> compared to whatever this is. Yeah, like. it just looks like hard plastic. I love Medusa in like a moment of desperation. She rips off her outer shirt yeah. to choke Aja Kong really with cool. it. Very, very cool. Her boot comes off. Yeah, a lot of boots being removed. So I, I didn't catch how Medusa's boots came off, if they got pulled or what. But then Aja then takes off her own boots. And starts kicking her with her bare feet. And then starts like, Aja's wearing these like um, platforms, I think, to make her look yeah. a bit scarier and taller. And she starts like, 
thwomping Medusa with these thick heeled Ow. trainer boot things, and they are heavy sounding. There's a lot of this match of like Medusa will try and do something, mm. and Azure Kong will be like, let me show you, and then she'll do it, and yeah. it's like way worse. Yeah. Like when Medusa wails away on her with her own boo, she's yeah. like fucking, and it's, she might as well be hitting her with a shopping bag. Like, yeah. you know, it makes no dent, and then Azure's just like, Doom! platform dude, smash. Oh my god. So yeah, both of them are shoeless now. Yeah. Which I'm assuming that's why at least some people recommended this match. Of course. But I'm not going to lie, as someone who gets, even though there's no Lego in this house and all plugs are kept in a safe place at all times because my wife is an absolute amazing person who has all special houses for all the plugs and adapters. Even still, Joe, if I'm I'm barefoot now and I'm like, ooh, Hmm. ooh. I don't like it. I don't, I don't. And these women wrestling around the ringside area, coming back in and out of the ring, barefoot for the rest of this match. Ever since I nope. tore off my toenail on holiday by accident. <laughs> and it, it's like, it's so stupid. I wasn't doing anything. I was just walking. And it was just like, I just walked wrong. And it just, yep, <laughs> off it came. Ripped the thing right off. It's horrible. And it didn't even make that noise. It was more like a kind of... <laughs> yeah. Thank you. That yeah, was it, exactly. Uh, there is something really amazing in this match, which is, you know, Medusa is screaming throughout because she's getting the shit knocked out of her. <laughs> But she finally gets in a submission hold onto Azure Kong. She gets her in this like heel hook mm. and she twists it and she twists it. And then finally you hear Azure go, ah! <laughs> and when she screams, I was like, yes, you fucking did it. You made her scream. And it, I don't know, I think there's a lot of people who would think, oh, if you don't sell, you know, in, in a portion of the match, that's like disrespectful. That's not how you should do it. But I kind of argue here, like. Oh, yeah, the timing you, is crucial. Yeah. Like, and also, she's Asha Kong. Yeah, like, it's different. When she does sell, then, when she does mm-hmm. wobble on her feet and get a bit punch drunk later on, it is really exhilarating. Yeah. Because you think, like, okay, it's not just they're playing wrestling. It's like, in your mind, it's like. This person who doesn't want to be hurt is finally starting to take some punishment, mm-hmm. you know? It's fucking amazing. I think my issue with the selling is, like, there's certain people who just won't sell as much, and it's not a thing to do with, like, them being bad people. It's, like, a character thing. Mm. Certain characters would would react to pain more than others. And with Sherry, I think what annoyed me about that match and her not selling is that as a manager, you see her selling all the time. I know, yeah. Over the top. Over the top. Yeah, Yeah. like a football player. Like, it's so silly. And then in an actual match where she's getting, like, hit, she doesn't sell it really at all. (laughs) Asha Kong hardly sells anything ever because that's her character. So I don't expect her to be, like, going through the match screaming all the time. When they went out ringside and they just flipped over that table... And start pressing it into her. Oh my god! <laughs> they just start swinging chairs. There's like a million like teenage girls in like you know in uniforms just running around going ah because like they're all the young girls, the yeah. next generation. There's just something really like over the top, silly and scary and crazy. I love when there's loads of people ringside yeah. and it's just especially like, when they're like children, children running around. Like, Get away! Like <laughs> so, where are your parents? Like I, I was really like my 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 uh, safeguarding training was like ah, someone open a door. Like what's going to happen? There is a jumping pile driver which Aja Kong does to Medusa in the ring. I thought she had absolutely broken her neck at that point. She just was splash. And then she does this like, she does this like loop of back fists where like Medusa's just like trying to punch her. She really starts getting some some uh, salt and pepper behind those shots. And then as she just like on on a pivot just goes woo 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 and does like three in a row. 
and like the crowd like you almost hear them start crying right they're like heartbroken that medusa is like been decimated so badly you know there was like a little moment where you thought that she was going to have her proper comeback and she started doing the wind up punch and all that and i was like oh no 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 wind up, <laughs> wind up punch ain't going to get it done in japan against aja kong so the noise that we hear when aja hits a pair of back fists that literally spin deuce out and she collapses on the ground she can't answer the 10 count and aja kong picks up the win in a match where they embrace at the end, and I think that I'm pretty sure Medusa's broken her nose. Oh yeah, definitely. Because she has got a swelling around that region, uh-huh. and a lot of blood. She looks like she's been in a fight. Yes. And I don't know about you, Joe, but I know we did some all Japan women's wrestling. We did a Manami Toyota episode. I think we saw some like spectacular stuff that we didn't know existed. This was a different vibe to that all together as well from like what i assumed all japan women's was this was something different Mm -hmm. and it was very refreshing and i enjoyed it a lot but how did you get on with this very physical matchup i liked it i gave it three stars out of five it but it's not my type of match i would never go out of my way to watch something like this because it is very brutal is it the yeah you don't like when there's hitting for real yeah Unless just, it's Ken Shamrock and Vader. Unless it's Ken Shamrock and Vader. Yeah, and the reason I like that is because there's an element of like playing between shoot and kayfabe in a way that really appeals to me. But this, it's it's my non-worked punches dislike. Mm. I don't like how they look. I think they always look shit. Yeah, weak. I know, yeah, yeah. It's so ironic because they suck. As in like, they hurt a lot. They hurt a lot more than worked punches. But I'm just like... I don't know, it's probably part of what makes me a wrestling fan and not an MMA fan, is I, I like to see over-exaggerated performances. I think an element of this here was that they wanted... You know, there was there was rival women's wrestling companies at the time where I think they wanted legitimacy. This would have been the period of time where, you know, they wanted to add in into all wrestling in Japan there to be that element of legitimacy. People who have kickboxing or martial arts training or whatever it may be so that you can kind of say hey this isn't a phony baloney show that you're seeing you're seeing real athletes putting on an incredible athletic display i will say i'm glad that this way of proving that point is in the past Mm -hmm. because i agree with you there is a brutality here Mm. that and there's kind of risk versus reward and i think we can't even begin to understand the risk that goes into something like this and the reward is a really fantastic match in my mind, but you could have gotten there and not broken the woman's fucking nose. Yeah. You know? And I feel as well, I, I think there's a few small tweaks that you could do to this to make it a bit more uh, the wrestling side of the spectrum rather than the shoot fight side, which is maybe a little bit of a blade job towards the end of the match just to, because we get the blood from the nose, but honestly it's after the bell ring. Yeah, I know. Yeah. So, I mean, I think, if you're going to hit people for real and make it clear to the audience that you're hitting people for real, there needs to be some kind of payoff. But this is 1990. I know. This is fucking crazy. It's the year I was born. This, I'm a baby. You have this here and over in like the WWF, Sherry is like with a big bubbling cauldron and macho yeah. king. Like that, that's the two different routes that women are taking in, in wrestling. Mm. I just think that this is, this is a part of that documentary that they did for WWE as well, where they were like, ah, you know, Kind of went to Japan for a bit, you know, did some yeah. stuff. Like, like, they didn't really get into the nitty-gritty of it. Mm-hmm. And I would say, in terms of, like, her book, it was one of the most fascinating parts of it, was just reading about the kind of 
you know, I think for her it was a perfect place, perfect time. Oh yeah, you can totally see why it you would know? appeal to someone like her. Like she's, yeah. she's give such me a, a challenge. Yeah, she's a big daredevil. Basically, yeah. she loves the adrenaline, and I can totally see why she'd be very happy to give this a go. And I think when you're in these types of matches you are basically putting yourself in a situation every night where you are saying beyond a shadow of a doubt, I'm doing something that no one else can do mm. or only a very, very, very select few can do. And I think that was important to her, mm. you know, because she was given, you know, pretty good accolades early on in her career. I think something that was very important with her is she got in good with Bill Apter and the people who were writing a lot of the magazines and stuff. So her her adventures in Japan were, were well documented. She oh, built wow. up this great kind of... And people weren't watching the tapes as much back then. There was mm. tape traders, but... You know, she got good coverage. She was the Pro Wrestling Illustrated Rookie of the Year. Yeah, you know? but she said that she was the first woman. First woman. That's you know? incredible. People who won that, like Stone Cold Steve Austin, Own Heart. You know, that, that's a quite a, a good accolade, yeah. you know, to have. So I think, you know, she was at this point not just going out and kind of going reckless abandon, hurt me, I want to prove something to myself. Like a lot of people who go to Japan or do hardcore yeah. stuff. It's like, no, because I know... You know, the pictures of her getting her ass kicked by Aja Kong going back into a magazine in America. That's like you're signing yourself uh, uh, into legend, into legendary status mm. there, you know. So her time in Japan was around two and a half, three years or thereabouts. She had a real heartbreaking story about this because she was paid well to go to Japan. You yeah, know? she said beforehand, like she wasn't really paid much. Even the stuff with Cherry, she wasn't paid like no. loads. I mean, compared to the $5, yeah, it was yeah. loads. But, but yeah, a couple, to... couple of hundred dollars, yeah. you're paying your own road expenses. Mm-hmm. You know, you're... She described as well, like, what it was like going on tour with the, the old lads in the AWA. Oh, God, you know, can you imagine? Go up into the hotel room, you know, the corridors, Ooh. just like, passed out guys and girls naked everywhere. Yeah. Like, fucking shit and stuff all over yeah, the world. You know, just, you know. So, she went over there with a pretty good contract, because knew they were kind of, hey, you're going to leave your home country behind for mm. a good few years. And she had an agreement in place where they would give her an advance on her salary. Mm. So she'd take like small amount. And she said she lived on like something really tiny. It was like $500 a month or something like that equivalent. I think it was even less than that. It's really, really subsistence living. She had a small apartment. All her food and stuff would be covered. She'd get like little, you know, trips or stuff here or there. But she mm. was living much more basic life than she would have much more frugally than she would have in america yeah and she had a management company back home in in the us of a oh this is her wealth management company yes the idea being that they would look after the fan club keep the posters in the stores Mm. she actually had a fitness video she was developing at the same time as well aerobics or whatever with medusa so she had all these you know irons in the fire yeah and the idea was that they were going to send the money back home to them they'd pay her taxes take care of her estate Mm put it in a bank account so when she comes back hey hey I spent three years in Japan breaking my bones and busting my ass and now I'm coming home to a nice little payday yeah every single penny was taken from her what the fuck the management company embezzled the money from her they were basically using her money to jet set around the world and go oh well we're we're representatives of Medusa Michelli so we're gonna go to they, she found out they went like they literally went to Japan on her dime what fact find admission well she's going to Japan we should probably check it out so they took themselves on holiday and they started taking money out. Like, she literally got a call from her accountant being like, where's your money? And she's like, they have it. And like, yeah, well, they've spent it. Did she not have any legal recourse? I mean, she said... Embezzlement she, is a crime. Like she, she did, but, you know, she ended up nearly bankrupting herself trying to pay for lawyers to pursue it. Jesus you know, she ended up She ended up dropping it in the end. Now, like, I don't think anyone could ever question 
the dedication or commitment of, of anyone who gets into to wrestling and does it to a professional level to you know because i think that you're given of your body you're given of your your your, your long-term well-being yeah. even if you're super careful yeah that's gonna happen fuck me can you think of any of the men who we've done episodes on like say if kevin nash no no disrespect to big mm. sexy we love him here mm. but if kevin nash went to japan for a year and he came back and all his money was gone do you think he would have went Oh, I'm gonna stick it out for another three years. No, you know, like so many people, rightfully so. Fuck knows, I would if I went away for a year and I came back and all my money was embezzled. I'd be like, fuck that, I'm not doing this again. No. How the hell do you stay in that business? That is like commitment. It's all, I think it's one of the most heartbreaking things I've ever heard. Yeah, it's really, really sad. Because you look at many of the clips we saw of her in Japan. She was invariably wrestling long ass matches hard matches as well hard being hit hard you know weapons martial arts Mm -hmm. you know not uh, certainly not stirring the nice cauldron over in wcw or are they stirring the cauldron (laughs) nice easy work in comparison for sure i just you know all the times we like talk about you know people being set on fire in japan or like you know losing losing uh body parts or being exploded and i kind of think well at least Mick and Terry and Sabu and all them lads, they came back with a bit of money in their pocket. Mm. With nothing. Yeah. So heartbreaking. Absolutely heartbreaking. So I think like what happens next in your career, which a lot of people might think is kind of, oh, that's a step down, it's a demotion. I feel this is like fucking well-earned and mm. nice. So they're at a point in WCW back in America where they're wanting to put together a big super heel group for Paul Heyman. Do you remember Paul Heyman's evil faction that he had in uh, in WCW back in the day? Um, I, I yes, but I don't remember what they're called. The Dangerous, oh, the Dangerous Alliance. Alliance. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So the Dangerous Alliance, and this has been pitched to Dusty Rhodes. <laughs> and Paul Heyman was like, right, I know I want to get Medusa a job. I know she'd be really great in this. They wanted to have like a valet for the group, but he didn't want her just to be like arm candy. He wanted her to be like this kind of Machiavellian, you know, getting involved in all the matches, pulling the strings. He wanted her to be the director of covert operations, which is the most James Bond way of saying, can you be a sexy evil lady in my group, please? <laughs> so Heyman wa- knows that Medusa is going to be like the right fit for it. He knows she's coming back from Japan. And his idea is that I will pitch it to Dusty Rhodes in a way that Dusty Rhodes thinks it's his idea. Wow. Which he managed to successfully do. So when Medusa meets with with, uh, Paul and Dusty Rhodes, Dusty's like, don't you worry, Medusa. It's a super idea. It's an amazing story because... Ah, the super genius Dusty Rhodes have come up with this. So (laughs) Yeah, it's funny because Dusty probably was thinking... Ah, this idiot. I, I just nicked his idea. And I'm going to get all the credit for it. <laughs> so she's brought in as part of the Dangerous Alliance as the Director of Covert Operations. And we saw some clips with her in this very, 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 very well-stocked group that has got beef for days, including... It's a good-looking bunch. It's a good-looking bunch. you got young stud Arn Anderson in there. Yeah. You've got Steve Austin in there. Larry Stunning Sabis- Steve. Stunning yeah. Steve. Who she apparently she said she always had a crush on, but he was always interested in some other blonde lady at any given time. So you got Paul in there who I don't get what anyone says, Paul is definitely in love with Medusa. You know? Yeah, definitely. In a little bit, but not, not in a, not a creepy way. And not know, in just... a way that like I think he'd ever want to act on it. No. As in like a, he's admiring her from afar. Yeah. Like he, he would a statue. Exactly. He's he's very he's very much into the idea of her being successful and he yeah. wants to help her and all that. She describes, you know, 
it being quite difficult being the one woman in this like group of like eight dudes. Yeah. Oh, you forgot Rick Rude, by the way. Rick Rude, the ravishing one himself. That was like her main role was like his manager, basically, mm. you know. And they debuted her. She like distracted Sting by dressing up as like a harem girl and be like, who is this <laughs> mysterious lady? It's Medusa. But she described it being quite difficult because you'd have like fucking eight dudes lined up. Most of them amazing talkers. And then you've got like Paul Heyman, who's like the talker of talkers as yeah. the mouthpiece. And she's there as well. So she said that they would do these marathon interview sessions and they'd all like all right i do my bit 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 and then it's like her bit and like ah you know she she admits she wasn't very good at promos mm. and it was like it was tough there was like one situation where like Arn anderson like chewed her out for fucking up the promo and then she's pulled off her high heel and was like i'll fucking throw this through your eye and like you know <laughs> she had to, there's so many occasions where someone's like hey now i'm gonna do so come on she's like i'll fucking fuck you up like, oh okay that's all Paul right Heyman's like wow what a beautiful woman. I think that's where you get the kind of, oh, one of the guys. Yeah, oh no, of, definitely you know. being able to stand up for yourself. Yeah. There's a great sure. story in there where it was like, she was, you know, in a match and Nick Bockwinkle was the special guest referee and she like interfered in the match and like pushed him and shoved him and all that. And afterwards he's like, no, Medusa, I know that you meant well, but in this business, I don't think it's appropriate that the referee is ever attacked in a match. I think that actually really harms the business. And she's like, well, what the fuck did you want me to do? Dance around with you? Like, just, I think there's an expectation that if you're a woman in wrestling, you're going to, at that time, oh yeah, you're going to be very kind of demure and be like, oh yeah, yeah sure, whatever. And absolutely, yeah. Literally every occasion, it's like, you're talking back to a teacher who's mm-hmm. pissed you off or whatever it is. <laughs> so like, I liked her in that group. I would be lying if I said I was a little bit disappointed about how kind of a bit lost in the shuffle she was because there were so many guys there. Yeah, and that's what I think often the... I think we still have kind of problems with that today in that a big group, a stable of men and one woman yes. is pretty overdone. Yeah. And yet, understandably... It's always the woman that seems to not get as much mic time. And I think especially in the case of the Dangerous Alliance, if she's not as skilled on the mic as the other men are, yeah, it makes sense why she kind of got probably... You know, a lot of the interviews that they do and promos, yeah. she's in the background because yeah. she's not the main talker. Like, there was literally one promo we watched and she, you could see her head's, like, bobbing around. She's, like, kind yeah. of walking through all these guys, kind of like, sorry, aren't you? Just, yeah. Oh, Hello, sorry, Larry. Like, you know, Hello. tapping Austin on the head. Just let everyone know I'm still here, you know. <laughs> what I will say, though, is, like, kind of viewing this top down now, like, with the whole career here, it's not a bad gig to have a year mm-hmm. of being, you know, a sexy Bond villainess, mm-hmm. you know, with a group of like the best wrestlers in the world after you've spent three years getting your ass handed to you and getting no pay for it at the end of it. And also considering the time, like I'm not saying... This is the most money she'd made in wrestling at this point as well. You know, so yeah. But yeah, considering the time, like I'm not going to say that like all these men are flawless individuals by any means, but like in the grand scheme of men you could work with at that time, you could do a lot worse. Oh yeah. And I, I fucking adored seeing all the different looks and all the different outfits as well mm-hmm. you know there's something about that early 90s style is, I love uh, it fantastic like yeah. you know these like Christmas rapper dresses and stuff like yeah, that yeah a lot of black vinyl as well yeah a lot of jumpsuits yes. you know uh, so we ended up watching a lot of the clips and segments leading up to the clash of the sexes which was her match against Polly Dangerously and the kind of the road that took us there and my God, if you thought Andy Kaufman had choice words for, for women, the verbiage from Paul Heyman leading to her being fired is 
bananas. He's just copied it. I know, right? It's literally just the same. You are a woman, yeah. and I am an X-Man. A man, a man. <laughs> uh, and there's literally one point where he goes, you, woman, 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 me, <laughs> man, man, man. 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 But there's something that's really um, shocking about it is that I expected, you know, all right, if Paul Heyman's going to get in Medusa's face and say a bunch of shit about her, she's going to, like, break his finger and jump on top of him and kill him or whatever. But she, like, brings herself to tears in all these promos. Like, she's fucking cut up inside by the things he's saying. Mm. There was one line he had that was just... It was so horrible. I can't believe it made it onto TV where he said... The reason why I hired you to be with Rick Rude for a year is that the other hooker I knew had a previous obligation that day. Yep. And literally a tear rolls down her cheek and then she karate kicks Paul Heyman. Yeah. <laughs> it's fucking savage. I mean, wouldn't fly today for many reasons. Is it because, like, you're thinking with the audience, like, hey, it's early 90s, we're in WCW, we have to go hard, otherwise we're worried that the audience will be like, yeah, fucking hate women, mm. you know? So they have to go the extra, extra mile, but Jesus Christ. Yeah. It's uh, it's something. It's shocking to hear Heyman say those things, yeah. you know, even if it is for a silly a silly gimmick or whatever it is. I mean, he certainly takes it further than Kaufman did. Yeah, yeah there's no chance. Uh, uh, short of pile-driving a woman. Yeah, or, or say, that, shut up, she's got no money, she can't sue me. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's just so silly. I know, yeah. Like, there's, there's no levity with Heyman. So, like. like, the stuff with Heyman is, like, the reason it's so savage is because it's stuff that, you know, men say to women quite a lot, like... Like, it's it's really brutal. He says, roll your silicone back into the kitchen where you belong at one Literally. point. And is that not like the fucking textbook quote that would have been said all the time in 2005 by men to women? Like, I feel I heard get back to the kitchen and make me a sandwich like every day when I was 15. Yeah, it, it was kind of shocking to see the stuff that was done in 1992. And I'm like, I remember seeing this in wrestling in 96, 97, 98, mm-hmm. 99, 2000, up to 2006, seven, yeah. then about. You know, it's just... Yeah, I, I like I know that we have had a we've had progress in the regards to blatant misogyny included, but, but there was a period where fuck me, we got no movement at all. The the works the, were gummed up for a long time. That's there. the weird thing though, because like Heyman here is objectively a villain. Like he's he's intended to be a villain. He's being booed. He is going above and beyond to be despicable for heat. Whereas I feel you you know ten years later. There were guys saying that to be faces. Or there's guys saying that and you would get the reaction of not people booing and throwing yeah, trash. People, people cheering, being like, yeah. Hey, exactly. yeah, yeah. So you another know. step in which we actually went backwards. For sure, yeah. I think like there was there was one segment we watched the build up to it, which is Paulie dangerously having a sparring session on uh, WCW Saturday night to get tuned up for his match with Medusa. And they play it like like he's this little Richard Hammond type where he's got his big strong dudes, like the best wrestlers in the world. So he immediately thinks he's the, he's as good as them and he's as tough as them. So they bring out this jobber and he's like, right, just let everyone know in this sparring match here, there'll be no like hits below the bell, for instance. And they like hit the jobber below the bell. <laughs> like this. You know, or there's a part where he's like, all right, jobber. And I remember I'm paying you, so 
So, so put your hands behind your back. I'm going to hit you right now, okay? And he wails back and he gives him the big punch and he doesn't even flinch. And as Haven is turning around going, thank you, Steve Austin like batters him, like gives him a load of boots and like making him think that, yeah, I did that, of course. Yeah. Uh, and then like when Medusa confronts him, he's like, you see Medusa, you're a woman. You're not like me. You're not a man. You're not a man like me or Steve Austin or Larry Zbysko or Aaron Anderson or me. You know, you're not... And like... <laughs> He goes on and on about, like, I'm a man. And he basically almost says that, like, and I'll never sleep with a woman. Like, he gets borderline <laughs> homoerotic with his hatred of women. Yes. Very strange. Mm. The Clash of the Sexes took place at the Clash of the Champions 21, back in the time when they didn't do subtlety. And uh, Paul Heyman, Paul E. Dangerously does a promo beforehand where he refers to himself as being the man who was also a man. Right, guys? Yeah, yeah. Right, yeah. I'll tell you, when me and the guys get together, Joe, there's nothing we like talking about about or express uh, desires of being a man in the presence of other men. Mm. It's all we go on about, really. Like it's our favorite topic of conversation. I know, you just don't shut up. Um, I'm obsessed with the fact that they list Heyman's height here. Oh yeah, we get a tail of the tape for our, our clash of the sexes. And I'm always fascinated by build height. And I know you <laughs> hate it because you're always like, it doesn't mean anything, it's fake. And I'm like, I don't care. I'm just interested. It doesn't matter. to It's like wrestling itself. I don't care that it's fake. But with heights in particular, there's always a million different sources. Yep. They're all wrong and mm-hmm. they're all different to one another. But and I find there's that... no way of finding out for real. No, but I find it really interesting because I think the range of heights will give you an estimate for like you got to work out the median or right. the mean for the true height and but, you're a and you're a believer as well in that the build height is also usually meant to kind of impart some sort of a character note to you as well right not character note per se but they'll make someone who's meant to be kind of weaselly appear to be smaller yes. than they are or someone yes. who they want to be you know mm-hmm. oh imposing or impressive they'll they'll big them up like. or similarly i think if you're someone who the company doesn't want to push they won't make you look smaller or might not might not exaggerate your height as much as someone else say for instance like brett i don't think his height was embellished as much as maybe Shawn michaels <gasps> whoa, 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 whoa. i've got no proof of that <laughs> got no proof unless i can meet these two men and actually measure them well, even that because they're yeah, old, old now. now that's a thing yeah there's no way to know but anyway here, Paul Heyman is being billed as five foot six, which is my height. Oh, I was thinking of you around that. Maybe. No, no way. I always thought he was five ten, and it's interesting because I thought Alundra Blaze. I was like, yeah, she looks about five ten as well. How was she billed as? She was billed as five six as well. And my theory is, she's billed as being five six because she's a woman. Oh, they wanted to be like, oh, the manager is like kind of, and he's yeah, yeah. he's not a wrestler, so yeah. he's billed as smaller as well. Because I think in order to make it seem like a larger discrepancy, they're like, let's push down the heights of these two I and push see. up the heights of the others. Okay, that makes sense. I like that. Mm. But I don't know that. That's just my, that's my theory. It's your hot theory. I'm, I'm, pre- theory. I'm, I'm interested to hear what people think about your hot theory. Plus, if anyone has a definitive guide to the actual heights of wrestlers. Yeah, like if you've got like a picture of you meeting a wrestler. But and I you need can to tell know how tall you are, though. How tall that's, you are. Yeah, that's... And then we can work it out. Because like, I love the ones where people have worked out how tall Adam Cole is, even though his build has been like six foot yeah I think if Adam Cole saw me coming at a meet and greet he'd take for the fucking hills like <laughs> I remember I did like a, I went to that uh, world of sport uh, media event in in uh, in Salford with, with Jeff Jarrett there. oh yeah Jeff Jarrett was there thank y'all for putting groceries on my table for another ten years <laughs> he literally said that <laughs> and uh, yeah I do remember afterwards like going through all the Brit Res lads there taking pictures and like I was like why is, why is everyone like 
not say pissed off, but like less than happy <laughs> to take pictures of me. And then one lad was like, mate, you're like killing our gimmicks. You're like, yeah. you're like a foot taller than like, this lad's meant to be like the giant lad. Yeah. Like the big muscle up dude. And you're like a foot over him. Like. It's really funny the idea of like, maybe yeah, you, Adam and Billy all meeting some wrestlers because you're all so tall. Yeah, yeah, yeah. we're the Titans <laughs> Incorporated, I believe is our, uh, yeah. our stable name. Yeah, so that's uh, Roddy Piper and Greg Wallace. Same size when I met them. Uh, you can see they're both, both could fit on my knee. Um, Roddy seemed a bit taller than Greg seemed t- Greg's was shorter than me for sure yeah that's how he fits inside the factory sure exactly it's a small <laughs> factory so we have Paulie coming out to the ring here dressed in a fa- fabulous heel outfit here he's wearing the New York Yankees baseball outfits yeah which uh, I'm led to believe is not well received down here in Atlanta GA that's a great outfit though I really like the design of that baseball outfit I tell you what I love, I love the fucking Dangerous Alliance entrance music with that uh, yeah, that, that midi organ that's yeah. uh, scurling around in the background so did you did you catch what Polly Dangerously's moniker is no he is from Scarsdale New York representing the Dangerous Alliance the psycho yuppie oh, Polly wow. Dangerously Great, love it. It's so obvious now seeing how much inspiration MJF takes from this era of Paul Heyman specifically, yes, where definitely. he's like peak nasty heel. Yeah, and I love there's he does you know, we saw because we watched a load of these, you know, Dangerous Alliance segments, like where he first brings in Medusa and whatnot, and he's explaining like the reason he has the Dangerous Alliance is that they fired him as one of the commentators. So he has assembled a group of like the most horrible people in wrestling. Mm. The idea is is that he will lower the stock price <laughs> of WCW so much that he's going to buy Turner and then he's going to oh fire all these God. assholes like Bischoff and, and Jim Ross and Jim Hurd so and all that. <laughs> this is kind of like a prototype NWO then. It is. And I think it's one of the reasons why... Like, I think this is one of the most forgotten about groups ever. And I think it's important to talk because, you know, Medusa was a big part of it. Mm. And I think people don't remember it much other than, oh, it's a it's a big team of hunks or whatever but like you know <laughs> they were like they were doing the taking over business long yeah. before it was uh, on a wearing t-shirt black as well yeah like that's totally all, what they did all wearing the suits and all yeah. that so i thought it was a really cool oh, i love it yeah you know and i think you know it all every part made sense mm. you know and I, I another shout as well like medusa who's called the director of covert operations he just flat out calls her miss 007 sometimes yeah, as I don't well get that because you know she's like a girl you see in a bond movie you know but 007, she'd be like the villain in a Bond movie, not, not... Yeah, it wouldn't be 007, would she? Yeah, or, or a Bond girl, like... And also, if she's if she's someone who betrays James Bond in this period of Bond movies... She'd have, like, a sexy name. I was going to say she'd be killed. Oh, that's true. You know, because yeah. that's, that's what James that's Bond true, did. Yeah. He loves women, and he loves to kill women. Wait, that 92? Was... We might be in the Pierce Brosnan era at this point. Wait, no, 92? Sure, that's not Dirty Dalton still killing ladies left, right, and center, oh, maybe. I'm sure. I don't know, oh. I don't know. So... <laughs> There is a fabulous subterfuge at the start of this match. Heyman is brought out with his new worst best friend, Michael P.S. Hayes. What's he doing here? Don't know. Send him to jail. Got a fun little story for 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 you about him in this match is it later fun? on. It is, it's, okay. it is. It shows you what a piece hate, of shit and a dickhead he is. I hate that man so much. So yeah, he's he's psyching up Paul, saying he's going to get him no matter what. Out comes this blonde-haired opponent, 
their heads in a uh, kind of a, a protective karate helmet. Well, it's Medusa, isn't it? Yeah, blonde hair, long in the ponytail. Yeah. Got the gi on, runs in, and as they're going under the ropes, Paul whacks him with the phone, complete KO, and he's there celebrating. Thank you, ladies and gentlemen. The exhibition is over. Stop the clock. And then, oh, he's such a scummy little weasel. Then he's like, I want a kiss. And then he leans <laughs> down. He's like, ah, I'm going to take my kiss. Is that, is that when he's ready, he's ready to lean down and, and Michael Hayes goes, Kick him in the ass! Yeah! <laughs> <laughs> I mean, yeah, so he goes down to get a kiss from the alleged uh, Medusa. Medusa. But the wig comes off in his hand. And it is, it's in fact, it's the jobber <laughs> it's who. It's the jobber from before. From before he was sparring with. And then Medusa appears from behind and she waffles Polly. I felt bad for the jobber that he never got his revenge. A poor guy got beaten up and like molested. Like, he got oh. kind of sacrificial lamb type yeah. revenge here. You know, his sacrifice let Medusa get a measure of revenge. I thought at least he should have gotten like a low blow in before Medusa came and like did the real work. <laughs> Just a little payback for the jobber. There's something very, very like 1992 about. Paul Heyman trying to kiss an unconscious man that he thinks is his arch-rival Lady Medusa and then him being interrupted and Jesse Ventura going, wait a damn minute, Jim Ross, this is an outrage. (laughs) That man is entitled to at least one kiss as for the stipulations of the clash of the sexes. So then Paul starts running away backstage and Medusa chases after him and she literally goes backstage. I thought it would end there. Yeah, it felt like, oh, the chaos, it's going to be over. No, she literally picks him up and Fireman carries him back to the ring, kicking and screaming. Love it. And she starts trying to rip his clothes off for some reason. Yeah, those pants come clean off. She does the... And I think it's... it's, It's a move that she she does early on in her career. She did it, in, I believe, in the in the Aja Kong match, and she does it like kind of subsequently. That front diving drop kick she does, like uh, mm. Brian Danson, I fucking love that. She does that to to Polly. She then dives to the outside onto Michael Hayes, yeah, who barely makes any attempts to catch her whatsoever. Yeah, and she fucks up her ankle when she's doing it as well. For fuck's sake! And that man is a scum. She found out afterwards. Then Michael Hayes told all the boys, I ain't catching her. Hell no, I ain't catching her. No way, man. I ain't catching no woman. That's gay. Yeah, literally, like, I'm not going to catch, catch her. catch men. If you don't want to catch someone, you know, just just tell them you don't want to catch them. This whole like, oh yeah. Oh, like, don't fucking be in a wrestling business, you piece of shit. That's the wrong business. You have to catch people for your job. It's your job. But it's it's, it's idea, like me being like, like, I don't want to talk. Podcaster, I'm not talk. You're not gonna, no. But it'd be different though if you told me you would, and then you went right and you told like Adam and B, like, yeah. yeah, I'm not gonna talk on that podcast at all, man. I don't do that. So yeah, she confronts him afterwards, saying like, why did you tell me that you're gonna catch me, and then you didn't? And why did you tell all these fucking idiots backstage, oh, I'm not gonna catch her and brag about it? And he's like, oh, don't take offense to it. I don't catch anyone. I don't do that shit. And she's like, that's the, and she literally says, that's the fucking game, dude. Like yeah, you know, that's literally. You know, and there are so many, like, it's kind of like Alan Partridge-esque in some ways. There are so many anecdotes that are literally just her getting in an argument and being like, what the fuck did you do that? It's like a much more aggressive Alan Partridge. And I kind of feel like, yeah, you could probably read the book in a sense and be like, kind of, well, she's just griping about a lot of stuff. But it's like... She has a lot to gripe about. She has a lot. I would call that standing up for yourself. Not It comes back to the same thing with Brett, honestly. I think so much we're so used to as wrestling fans expecting wrestlers to just eat plates and plates of shit and go mm, yummy this is so good can i have more shit please 
And then when wrestlers actually stand up for themselves and go, you know what? I don't want to eat your shit. And then we're like, what? No, but you have to. Because everyone else eats shit, you need to as well. So the five minutes expire... And then we have Paul Heyman being chased away to the back, pantsless by Medusa with a steel chair. And assumedly a fucked up ankle as well at the same time. You wouldn't have known it. Oh, no. That late, you know, yeah, the, the Japan has hardened her mm-hmm. sense of pain, it seems. Great deal. And isn't funny in a match that had a director of covert operations and a, and a manager... And on the outside, there was the legendary Michael Hayes, the legend who sold out the Sportatorium a million times in Texas, and this supposed legend of the business who had one fucking job, mind. I hate him so much. And he's the, and I thought, you know what? All right, I get it. It's not a fucking math classic, this or anything. But for an angle and for a gimmick and for him getting his comeuppance and showing her to be like legitimate and serious, I thought it was pretty good. For 1992, it over delivered in my estimation. But how'd you get on with your clash of the sexes, Joe? So funny you being like, yeah, this obviously is is not very good, but I gave it five out of five stars. (laughs) Um, I think it's a perfect match. I think this for what it, what it should be like, it should be yeah. yeah i don't fuck i don't want a real match it was paul Heyman for god's sake like yeah there's a reason this man is still in the business today doing what he does and still taking spots and bumps and stuff it's because he didn't overwork himself yeah. in his youth he didn't he understands what he's good at and he lent into that and he's so good at playing that old school nasty heel who doesn't really have to do much to yes. get themselves heat he did do an elbow drop off the he top did. rope, yeah, I think went, it was. He did an axe handle off the top. That was yeah, it, he yeah. Did. And Medusa no sold it, which yeah. is really funny. Really yeah. funny and appropriate, I think, because yeah. he isn't a wrestler. And I do feel if you're not a wrestler, you should never be booked as a as an equivalent strength as yeah. a professional wrestler because it's burying the talent otherwise. How come people don't care more about that stuff than they do about putting titles in bins? I don't understand how... One is fine, but the others... Anyway, I'm just not getting a tangent. I loved this. Yeah. I know it's not a match, but I love it. I was really debating whether or not to show it to you because she was like very like, eh. I can see know. why, because it's not yeah. legitimate for her. And it seemed, you know, you could look at this and go, that's a step down from yeah. you know, the wars in Japan. But I'm like, hey, you've you've earned taking off Paul Heyman's trousers for a match instead. You I know? can understand that as someone who takes themselves very seriously... And for everything she's been through and the struggles that she's had to overcome, I can see why she may not be as proud of this as, you know, other stuff. But for me as a fan, I don't have to care about that stuff. So I love it and it's great and it's fun. And this is what I want every wrestling show to have at least one match that's silly like this and isn't really a match. Yeah, it was a great angle masquerading as a match, I think. And it was good. (laughs) It was nice for me for research for the episode to have a little palate cleansery type match. Yeah, I think so. Because, you know, we were looking at a lot of matches and I was sat kind of scratching my head going, oh man, I don't want to... so many. Yeah, I don't want to just be like... Because we've done earlier episodes where it's like, here's a kick-ass match, Mm -hmm. here's a kick-ass match, here's a kick-ass match. And it's like, all right, you've given me like five stakes in a row. Yeah, exactly. You know, uh, and they're they're very good. You know, <laughs> mm. <laughs> the fifth stake now. No, it'll slip down. It's rare this one. It's okay. It's fine. But yeah, I, I think that this was both a necessary part of her story and also definitely a, a nice change of pace and mm. all that. But I think she's going to obviously be disappointed when she is hoping to rebuild that momentum thinking that, you know, she's got to bring whatever that seriousness, the the way that the women were treated in Japan, she was hoping that would be maybe carried over. And I think she feels... 
that if she's not doing that and not elevating all the the women's division, women's wrestling, and mm. whatever company she's in, she thinks she's letting like she's letting herself down, and that's the standard she's holding herself to, which is honestly in America in the nineties is yeah. a fucking impossible standard. It is impossible. That's the thing. It's like you can't you can't just apply what you've got to do in Japan to you know a completely different country with different attitudes. Like wrestling is such a cooperative business. And just because you want to do a hard-hitting match, you know, where you might break your nose, doesn't mean that necessarily lots of other women will want to do the same when they don't have to. Yeah. And that's what's so difficult, is there were so few women in the industry at that time. You know, not to say that there weren't women who would want to do stuff like that. Obviously there were. It's just they often didn't work in the same companies at the same time. They didn't have those opportunities presented at the right moment for their careers. And I do think that WCW, at this particular period, this is a period where you go from, like, Bill Watts to Jim Hurd to Ole Anderson to Eric Bischoff all mm. within the space of like you know two or two and a half years there's a lot of changing of the guard of this is what the show is going to be or this is what the ethos of our wrestling company is and like when you are dealing with something like women's wrestling at that time it's it's viewed as like an outlier it's not like it's not in the middle of anyone's plans even the people who are like more passionate about it or think it has value mm. it's still something that's kind of on the periphery as 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 a novelty and a gimmick still yeah and i don't think she was going to be happy in that situation and she was told you know, when she's brought in oh yeah you know we'll give you the women's championship we're going to bring back the division and i think she was promised across her career like three or four different times hey we're bringing in a women's division yeah and you're at the center of it and then oh no that's not happening mm. but this is the first time it's happened the second time it happens is when the end of her contract in WCW, the World Wrestling Federation comes a calling and Vince McMahon has decided he wants a women's wrestling division front and center for this new generation that they've got going on. And he wants Medusa to be the centerpiece of it, to be the first champion and be the woman who this entire division will be built around. And to say that this is like a dream come true for her and she has stars in her eyes, even after, you know... a well tenured career in wrestling at this point yeah. she's seen and done it all what kind of year would this be this would have been like 93 94 thereabouts i see so this is kind of like wwf at this point is like proper gear change very good momentum they've done a few successful wrestlemanias at this point oh well no because this is i mean momentum in a sense though because this is like this is what you know the, the dark period and then this is after the steroids trial and when they've oh. lost all their big stars they're in a building phase right now where it's right. like right Brett and Sean Diesel and Razor these are going to be the top guys it's yeah. the new generation houses are down you know attendance across the board is down pay-per-view and ratings that's all down who's champion at this point at this point it would have been wouldn't Brett I think still Brett yeah so not quite the turn of ratings with Diesel no, not not quite the lowest ratings of uh, of, the, of of the modern era or whatever. But the reality is, is that it's momentum in a sense, in that the best time when you could come in and build something is when they're looking to change it up and they're looking to they're rebranding. It's not about what it was; it's about what it's going to be. Mm. You know, if you want to come in the middle of Hulk Hogan's era and be like, "Yeah, we're going to build this new thing in the middle of this era that we already have all the parts we want for it," so it's exciting and it's. It's likely going to go her way, she thinks, because, well, yeah, they want more women watching the show. They want little girls watching the show. They want families watching the show. Yeah. This is a way to do it. And, man, let me tell you, we've talked before in this podcast about the kind of, I don't even want to call it the cult of personality or just the kind of the, the gravitas or the fucking planet-like pull that this man has. But when Vince McMahon and Medusa meet and when she talks about him 
or when she thinks about him, hallowed fucking ground. I have never seen such chemistry between two people in my entire life. Really? Seriously. I mean, maybe Vincent Sean. No, bit. even that because that was <laughs> that was always one. I felt that felt one sided. Like Sean, I think was a happy. bit shyer. No, I don't think Sean. Yeah. I mean, maybe, but it's always hard to know with Sean. But I mean, more like I think Vince loved Sean more than Sean loved Vince. Yeah, no, that's fair to say. I but these fair. two, like, we see a lot of footage of them kind of meeting and kind of behind the scenes stuff from from the the kind of first meetings of them in, in Titan Towers. Vince so, yeah. is a smiley man when he's, in real life, when he's meeting talent and stuff, he is a very friendly, yes. smiley man. Always at a hug and a handshake yeah, and all that for jazz. Everyone. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And yet the smile he gives Medusa, it's like his whole face lights up. I've never seen, it's like, honestly, it's like seeing him look at his kids or something. Like, and the body language between the two, they're constantly touching each other. He's putting his hand around her waist. Yeah, I think you posted eye contact. some of the pics on, on Twitter, maybe. Like, there's some of the stills that we caught from this where it's like, I mean, I've seen Vince with, like, you know, other women that he's, you know, liked, let's yeah, just say. In, in a different way. In a different way. But this Corny is, Vince is different from yeah, this. Yeah, this, this is, is kind of like, you, you can see he's looking at her like, and I, I think a lot of folks maybe think that because it was short term and it, you know that it ended badly, that oh all this chat about her being important or him wanting to build a division is kind of lip service. But like I don't no, think you can he, deny he loves her. He really thought that yeah. she was a star in that yeah. sense. I was shocked by how comfortable and yes, not like ease. boss kind of you know they looked at each other like equals. Yeah, there was this strange immediate kind of respect and kinship that came yeah. across that I honestly didn't think and you know when she wrote about it in the book she, she spoke you know as well about you know they want you know she wanted to be Medusa and he's like nah nah you know we need to come up with something new because you own the copyrights to that and they like they worked on the name together Alundra they came up with that because they wanted a chantable name they thought if she's going to be the figurehead of the division it should be something that could be chanted so Alundra Alundra mm. so that was it and they went with Blaze because they wanted to the idea of her being the trailblazer for the division they did all new gear and stuff like that i but love the alundra blaze gear it's really cool i was shocked to find out though she had most of that gear made herself oh, as was the sake. standard at the time like. i always forget that that's fucking so wild. weird you've imagine got, how expensive that oh would have thousands been. back because like you obviously know? i think textile costs have gone down they are still really high but like you know, it costs a lot to make fabric and it costs a lot to then pay someone to turn oh, yeah. that much, into clothes. Oh yeah, much harder to get done yeah. back in the day, I would think, than, than in current Absolutely. day. So yeah, like they set up a tournament for her to become the, the inaugural women's champion and like most of the women in the tournament aren't signed. They're just kind of, you know, there's some folks who they bring back from back in the day, but most of the women involved in the tournament are either imports from Japan or they are folks who are kind of working on a show-to-show -show basis. And it became kind of apparent quite quickly that there weren't a lot of women for this big plan other than Alundra and whoever the person she was facing at any given time. Mm. And it's kind of sad when you hear her as well. She talks about Luna in the book about like how much Luna wanted that women's championship. And I think in the Luna episode we we talked about like that was like yeah. just laser focused her goal. And I think one of the sweetest things about it is that you know she talks about Luna in a kind of a oh she was hard to work with and she was unpredictable, unstable and they used to always have to get me to calm her down or you know get her on the bus and stuff like that. So she does kind of, you know, doesn't speak that highly of her. But she does offer at one point when Luna is like literally in tears about not getting a championship opportunity or mm. not getting a run with the bell. She's like, hey, fuck it. I'll lay down the ring for you. Oh, 
you know, like, let's just do it. Like, you know, what are they, you know this is the point when she was going to be leaving anyway. Yeah. She's like, what are they going to do? Like, fire me? Like, she was willing to do that. Oh, like, screw job herself. Yeah. <laughs> and I think that's like, I know it's easier said than done. But even to say even it is more than that, a lot of people would say. Yeah. And I think that there's a lot of people, men or women, who will be brought in and say, hey, I'm making a new division and it's about you. You are the centre of it. And I don't think many of those people would be like, hey, I'll lay down and give yeah. you my well-deserving colleague the, Especially the, like the spotlight instead. When you're leaving the company. So like, I know there's so many guys who would be like, oh, this is my opportunity to leave on a high note. And it's like, well, actually a high note would be to get someone else over in yes. your departure. That's true wrestling. So we had one match that was recommended from her run as Alundra Blaze more than any other, which was from SummerSlam 1994. So this is Alundra Blaze defending the Women's Championship versus Bull Nakano. Yes. Fuck yes, Bull Nakano. Yes. Has she come up before in a match? Because like, she's one of those wrestlers that like I feel like I've seen loads of her matches, but... She's definitely been on a previous episode. I feel like I see her in GIFs and clips <laughs> online more than any other wrestler. Well, she's one of the most iconic looking ladies yeah. I've ever seen in wrestling. Yeah, 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 like, for sure. Know? But I can't remember if, if she has come up in an episode prior. I think she has come up either on a pay-per-view classic or on a previous episode mm. at least once. Because I you know, I don't think this is the first time you laid eyes on, on Bull Nakano. No, but that's what I'm saying though. Like, she comes up on my timeline every day. <laughs> I tell you, you know, front of a list of another woman I'd like to do an episode yeah. about is her, you know. Iconic. Selfishly, I want to do Bison Kimura because she's my favourite, but in reality, <laughs> we should probably do Bull Nakano because, wow, what a look. Describe the look for those who maybe don't know who Bull Nakano is. Wow. So, Bull Nakano, she's got. Like, she's got long <laughs> hair, but it's... That is okay. <laughs> I have to start with that. Okay. Because Vertical if I, hair. If I describe this the wrong way around, the mental image for people who don't know what she looks like will get it wrong. Okay. She's got long hair, but it's like glued upwards. Not like a mohawk. So it's not like pointy. It's like like a thick sword <laughs> or something sword. i don't know it's like it's like guts's sword it's like but, thick but hair it's not but it, it's not a spike that's mm. what i'm trying to say because like when you think of hair glued up you think of high a spike. hair it's just it's just like normal hair but blue and high glued upright really tall it's awesome it's awesome it's iconic she several has... cans of hairspray and, oh, and spirit glue and all that going literally into it. blue yeah. i remember talking to a punk back in the day who was like a punk in the 80s and they were like yeah no no glue horrible Fucking hell. um <laughs> but, um she has like blue veins drawn on her f- half of her face love it and she's accompanied with luna as well yes so they both I got the veins they do have like a good pairing there yes. and i you know i think it's a smart idea you're bringing this someone from japan who maybe the audience are less familiar with mm-hmm. like the crowd are fixated on luna for a lot of this match because she's screaming in the corner like a horrible goblin wizard yeah <laughs> but um yeah and let me tell you bull nakano's got serious presence so much presence that she can even overcome the on ass music they gave her because yeah. it's the 90s and she's from far away. It really doesn't suit her no, character at does. all. She needs something a lot more scary. So Alundra comes out with the big cape. Their fucking reaction is incredible. Yeah, I mean, she looks like such a superstar. This... They are absolutely buying her as a, a legitimate part yeah. of this show. Can't tell me otherwise. I get big Bret Hart vibes from this era of her career, honestly. Like the way she's. The pure fire. Pure baby, baby face. Baby face yeah. The way she does it so effortlessly, which yeah. I do think being a baby face is one of the hardest things in the wrestling business. She's changed up the look a little bit as well. It's more kind of moving away from the kind of. Uh... Sexy. It is yeah. still hot. 
top. But... Well, it's more like kind of athletic. Like they they want this to be not like a titillation thing. This is very much like yeah. a, this is an athlete, like yes. you know, kind of slight superhero vibes. I would say yeah, as well. Yeah, that's to very it. fair. Yeah, you know. But yeah, she's got an amazing connection with the crowd, you mm-hmm. know. And I think we've seen her so so much in WCW being like, you know, booed and having trash thrown at her and stuff yeah. like that. Seeing like a, an audience just like in the you know when a, when a baby face gets up at the top rope and just kind of puts their hands out, you can mm-hmm. see everyone go, ah! you, you know, they've got that connection. I feel we should mention as well because you were going on and on about it. The women's championship, the WWF oh, Women's I Championship love at the it. time. It's <laughs> so cool. Tell me about it. It's pink. It is. It is. But it's not like hot pink. Uh, it's not like a. It's not like when the Pastel-y divas kind of. Yeah, it's not like the divas belt, which was like kind of yeah, glittery like a, and purple. Yeah, like and, a Barbie pink, which yeah. I love. Don't get me wrong, I love Barbie pink, but I don't know. Branding for belts is really important, and this is like a kind of serious pink. It's pastely, but it's kind of a neutral it's the kind a, of pink you'd wear in a shirt to a job interview yeah it's a kind of mark henry salmon pink <laughs> yes kind of, yeah it's a it's a badass pink it's yeah a, it's good it works it's, it's really good it doesn't look like a gimmicky belt no not at know? all no yeah. it's serious and i love how small it is i love big belts but i also really love a good small belt yeah ew had that smaller kind of women's championship that was like you know, the classic mm. nwa women's championship where you had a little picture of the person in the middle it was literally like kind of a an actual decorative belt yeah. it looked like but yeah, I feel like people think that's like a a lesser than thing, and the, the women now all have the kind of the proper big sized belts. You I, know? I just think, as I'm about it, always like, saying, diversity is king. I just yeah. want a bit of everything. You know, I love seeing a wrestler with a big belt, but I also love sometimes seeing a wrestler with a little belt because it makes them look bigger. And also, as well. Shout out to the little belt because it means that sometimes people carry it differently. Yes, exactly. And I like that people can kind of cup that women's championship mm. in their hand like it's a dog or a sandwich. But yeah, she's obviously a very buff woman uh, by the standards of the 90s anyway. Yes. And her having that little belt on her shoulder makes her look so huge. Yes. And let me tell you, she's bigger than I've ever seen her and she is faster than mm. I... Oh my fucking yeah. God. Like she just keeps... I don't know. I don't say keep getting better because I don't necessarily say that bigger or faster is always better because it can sometimes not be. She's carrying herself with a lot more confidence now. Yeah. There is definitely like, there is a style here and it's not quite what you were seeing in, in, you know, the Japanese promotions and it's certainly not what you were seeing in the women's wrestling that WWF was offering in the years afterwards but it's, it's somewhere in between. It's definitely not the same as like how the men were wrestling. There's Mm. definitely moves that they're not doing or types of things that they're avoiding but there's just like kind of a kinetic frenziness to it like she runs them ropes yeah. i know i know you're always since the austin episode you're always laser focused on the rope running and medusa alundra blaze she can run them ropes she can i think her height definitely gives her an advantage but there is also this just like force of nature about her which yeah. i think is partly what makes her such a compelling wrestler i think she has just that vibe of like she's been around the world she's mm. a wor- like she's one of those people where like she has that bret hart thing of you can yeah. say she's been around the world she's in a million things mm-hmm. you don't need to see them we can just tell you that and you can look at them and go i believe yeah that. i believe that yeah, <laughs> yeah that's all right i love them using the tradition of the the big flowers being given out like they would for a title match in japan and then luna Miji's like <laughs> fucking them all up (laughs) great stuff absolutely love it and then she ends up taking them both anyway she's like rescuing them like they're mine it wouldn't be women's wrestling in the WWF with Jerry Lawler on commentary Mm. without some bullshit he's a lot more respectful than he'd become but yes do you remember do you remember Wrestlemania 10 because we did 
WrestleMania 10, one of my favourite episodes. Do I remember episodes. WrestleMania 10? Hmm. Hmm, my favourite pay-per-view. pay-per-view. Yes, I remember. But do you remember what your heart, your Lundra had a match at that? Oh, yeah. That was a, one of my favourite episodes of How to Wrestling to, to record. It's over on the Patreon page with Pay-Per-View Classic. But she, she wrestled on that. Do you remember what, what he said about her? Mm. He's like, got a million dollar body and a ten cent <gasps> face. Jesus Christ. And let me tell you, she was not happy about She writes about that in the book and she's like, Off I, I can't watch that fucking pay-per-view anymore because of it. Of course not, because as a teenager she was told that she'd never live her dream I because know. of her nose. Like, I know. That's like what trauma on like several different levels. That poor woman. But like, you know, pay enough attention to this one. There's some pretty bad shit here because they... They start off and be like, "Oh, Beauty and the Beast." Yeah, you know, and then that's or we have. So what? Are you saying that is it Bull Nakano's ugly? And then Jerry's like, "No, Bull Nakano's pretty." He he he. And Alundra Blaze is ugly, and it's like, "All right, so you're having a, a sly dig at both women then yeah. in your kind of backwards way." And like mm-hmm. Vince doesn't join in on it. No, and it's like this is nearly ten years after the Sherry one, and I'm kind of thinking, I'd much rather these lads to be like. Well, look at these ladies. Say what you will about them. They certainly are women. You know, yeah. I, that's honestly better than this, I yeah, feel. No, you we're know? starting now the slippery slope of moving backwards. Yeah, for sure. It's crazy. You just, I think you just see it. You yeah. know, It's right there in front of you. You know, And Jerry Lawler is to blame. <laughs> and this is why. Well, I think Vince McMahon is to blame. Mr. Well, yeah, fucking no, producer is, there on the sideline. Yeah, you know? Absolutely. The fucking spin kicks that she is whipping out now. These are amazing. Mm. I love a good spin kick me and she's got such long legs as well so it looks extra effective yeah and also safer than if rob van damme is going to do i don't know why but didn't look like she was taking anyone's forehead off with these ones (laughs) alundra is in a submission move at one point and you have luna just going (laughs) casting magic on her or whatever i didn't like that though i love that no i mean i did love it but they didn't put on the hard cam oh right yes you couldn't see after a certain point in time, they they obviously realise that any valets and managers need to be on the hard cam because otherwise you just get the front row of the crowd just looking off to the left. Yeah. And you, it, just, it's, it just makes you go, oh, is there a beach ball over there? Yeah, I know. I mean, there's a lot of stuff in this match that wasn't like, you know, that wasn't just good for wrestling at the time or good for women's wrestling or anything like that. Mm. This is just like ahead of its time. It's yeah. straight, straight up. That's like, really good. You have pinfalls where someone kicks out and then they're caught into a submission hole straight away i literally remember like in 2005 watching samoa joe do that on a tna show and be like (laughs) 11 years later like and you know this it's amazing Mm -hmm. you know it's it's i I think bull meccano is certainly someone who has perhaps been overlooked by i I think an episode on her would be a a service to the wrestling community as a whole i want to see that artwork that dan does oh fuck yes so Alundra runs the ropes big time and she does all these big sling bays where she's just twisting in the air. Honestly, she's like kind of gravity defying at, at the point. And shout out to Paul Nakano as well for like, you know, you're assuming because she's like more of like a big powerhouse that she's not going to be like keeping up pace. Not a bother on her. I don't need these women to break a sweat in this match. Oh yeah. It's 10 minutes of non-stop action like. Oh, it's 10 minutes. Yeah, I know. I honestly couldn't have told, if you asked me to guess how long that match was, I couldn't have told you. Yeah. Bull Nakano goes for the big guillotine leg drop off the top rope, which was fucking scary to see and to miss as well. And then Alundra hits the big German suplex with the bridge. She wins. Vince McMahon has that reaction like when Shawn Michaels or whoever, he's like, yes, Alundra plays. (laughs) And it's, it's just like amazing to see how she has 
everything that they're looking for here. Yeah, she is a complete package. She's beautiful, mm-hmm. but she's not, you know, uh, she's not too salaciously sexy that yeah. it might, you know, rub your advertisers or the family audience the wrong mm-hmm. way. No, she's very family friendly. She's athletic. Yeah. She's ahead of her time. And like, I thought it was so cool in that documentary, you had Scott Hall and Kevin Ash being like, oh, brother, it was a sellout the curtain every night that, you know, Bull Nakano and Alundra were there. Like, all the all the boys were all watching it. Yeah, it's, they it's, loved it. And I think that's cool that, like, you know, hey, commentary aside, that we've went now in, like, less than 10 years from the guy side-eyeing them being like, why is she here? She's taking my spot mm-hmm. to, like, wow, look at the fucking great wrestling. Yeah, m- maybe know. we should put on... <laughs> no. No, <laughs> no, I don't want that, like, you know. Well, basically, I think they should have kept Alundra and she'd do all them flips and shit and then we could take it easy in the main event, you know? We already got the money. Headlock, take over, one, two, three. We got them, brother. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, it was... Uh, this is a match I'd seen before. I remember seeing this, like, when I got my SummerSlam DVD box set back in the day. This is one of the first ones I stuck in because I'd always heard it was like, mm. hey, did you know there was an amazing women's wrestling match on a SummerSlam once in the 90s? Like, what? Wow. I loved it. I really... I thought it held up very well, mm. but... How'd you get on with this one? This was a match which I noticed that you were... It was like we were watching a, a, a pay-per-view live and something had really got its hooks into you, yep. almost. You I know? have very little notes for this because I didn't want to pause. Yeah, you didn't want to break up that flow because they were non-stop. Yeah, like, often yeah. when we're reviewing matches, I will ask you to pause so I can type my notes up, but I didn't want to. It's I was so enveloped and totally absorbed and it was just perfect and the flow was amazing I love how fast-paced it was. Yeah. And yet, when I'm still think... selling though. You oh, know? they were still yeah. selling. And oh, I don't necessarily think of fast pace as not selling. Although I guess these it days it mean can that. mean yeah. that. But I think often fast pace to me often means quite weightless. Yeah. And this is not a weightless match. This no. is a hefty match. Yeah, on that hard ass old new yeah. generation ring as well. And they are clobbering each other, like in various different means. <laughs> and I absolutely loved it. To me, this is proper wrestling. When yeah. I think of wrestling in my mind and what it can be, I think of stuff like this. I gave this five out of five. Look at A. Perfect match. So we're seeing the two sides of what Joe likes in wrestling with mm-hmm. these last two. You want to get two two more different matches getting five stars from you i think yep on, on this uh, very <laughs> podcast series like so she goes on she has around a year with the wwf around this time with this run and she has other competitors and challengers she wrestles bull a few times she wrestles Aja kong she does have some matches with luna bertha Fay is someone who's oh. brought in as well she had less than seven things to say about bertha though in mm. In as much as, like, she claimed that she was, like, you know, drunk in her matches and she'd forget stuff and all that. I, honestly, I, I couldn't say, you know, I've, I, I'm i not familiar enough with with those matches or, or her character. All I know about Bertha Fay is she was troubled. Yeah, she, she, had she had was a, going through a lot of stuff. And, like, it was something that was quite sad at the end of her talking about her run in WWF when you realize that there's so few of her colleagues left from the American side. You know, Luna, Sherry, you know, Bertha Faye all died very, very young, you know? And, you know, I think it was, it was, it was sad. You know, it was, it was sad to kind of think of that, that, you know, I think a lot of folks, when you look at Alundra or Medusa in kind of current times, when she's talking about stuff, I think always that maybe people might forget because someone is speaking very confidently at length about, topics that maybe you have opinions on just bear in mind like you know 
more so than most of the men, like mm-hmm. everyone who she's wrestled with, you know, there's a lot of them not with us anymore. And that is, there's, mm-hmm. I think there's always in some way, shape or form, a survivor's guilt thing. Yes, definitely. You know, we, we talked about in the Jake Roberts episodes, mm-hmm. you know, maybe not as strong as that, but like, heck, if it's a smaller pool of talent, that's exactly what I was know, going to say. Because it's a closer group. We often talk about how for the men, moving up through that industry at that time was so heartbreaking because so many of the people you worked with did die so young. But yeah, as you say, if the talent pool is smaller, your friend group is smaller. Yes. And if the it ratio is still then, you know? that high, like it's just it's going to feel, I think, a lot harder for yeah. someone like that. I guess I say it means more. I mean, you're gonna feel it more. I guess. Yeah, That's because there's less of more, you, yeah. so of course yeah. it impacts you more. So it's kind of it's 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 sad on that note, you know, and that's why I kind of I I guess I'm happy that she is is healthy and happy still to this day, yeah. you know, because I feel that one of her big worries about why this era that we're talking about is completely forgotten about is because she's not, you know, she's one of the only people left to talk about it, you know. I think you know a lot of the women in, in Japan. We saw Aja Kong in AEW, you know, a couple of years back, which was cool to see. I know Bull Nakano is like a professional golfer now. Yeah. And like, you know, you, you will not believe if you saw a picture of her, you know. But like to think that there was all this chat that they were going to have Aja Kong win the women's championship and Alundra was going to go back to, uh, she was going to go back to all Japan women's and like they would have a proper working relationship, which is like crazy to think. Everyone's talking about all working relationships that, you know, AEW and AAA and New Japan have. Vince McMahon wanted to be like in business full yeah. time and send over his champion to another country, another mm-hmm. company. But whatever it was, planned suddenly. Yeah. Nope, not anymore. And we literally went from there being a match at Rumble 95, Aja and Alundra to suddenly we have a match where we're meant to be building up Aja for this title match against Alundra and the commentators aren't mentioning there being a title match at all. Oh. And then she's informed uh, that she's been downsized. So this is all, or at least claims to be all part of the big downsizing from the Monday Night Wars, right? Because I know the WWF were really affected monetarily by yeah. that. It was an expensive endeavour for you them. Know, you can blame it. If Vince McMahon will have you believe it at the time, Joe, is that damn Bret Hart and that 20-year deal. Yeah. If he'd only play business yep. with me. <laughs> mm-hmm. But um, yeah, I mean, I honestly... Don't buy that. Because you, you had this documentary and Jerry Briscoe being like, well, business wasn't good. We had to get rid of all that. I mean, we couldn't have women. It's true that business wasn't good. Well, you couldn't have the people who you definitely paid mm. less than all the other men. Well, that's the Seriously? thing. Seriously? It, it doesn't really... It's, as soon as you look past the first page, it becomes evident that it has nothing to do with that because they were still spending ludicrous, obscene amounts of, of money course. on things that they didn't actually need to be doing. Yeah, fair. It was purely for face value. But yeah, it's it's very obvious where their priorities lie and the direction they were taking the company. And Vince obviously decided that that wasn't the direction they were going to go in. Sorry, Ico Pro and the WBF were failures. We have to fire all women. Yeah. <laughs> and that's just like, that's wild. And actually it makes me think how lucky you think about it in retrospect that Luna was that she stayed there. Yeah. You know, that they got rid of the fucking champion and all. And, but the problem was, was that you weren't going to build momentum for a division when it was just one person and it's like, right, who's she going to face this week? And, you know, the matches can be great mm-hmm. and they can be like things you aren't seeing, but there wasn't the stories there, mm-hmm. you know, and I think that was the problem. You had a bit of a story with Bertha Faye, maybe, 
But again, even with that, they were falling into the like, oh, Bertha Faye, she's a trailer trash lady and she's in love with this tiny man, Harvey Whippleman. And it was becoming kind of right. silly. Yeah. You know? Uh, so I think it was an experiment, ultimately. And I think there were moments in that experiment where you could have seen the path to something greater. Mm. If Alundra set the world on fire and they were serious with it and they had all these great women built up as characters and great stories would we have become the Jerry Springer tits and ass show in the late 90s and early noughties? Maybe. Who knows? No, I think they would have still... Maybe it would have had a different tilt to it, though. I don't think it had anything to do with her or the women. I don't... Mm. It was entirely society, I think, and then the choices of Vince. Like, socially, we were all becoming an edgier type of culture. Best case scenario, it would have been like the mid-2000s where you had, like... The women doing the sexy stuff, and then there was a couple of women who did the ma- you know the matches in inverted commas. Because yeah, the truth is, sex sells, and also sex is cheaper to sell than athletes yeah. because athletes get injured and athletes have opinions and well, booking decisions and stuff, and they want to get themselves over and stuff like that. And it is just cheaper and easier, isn't it, mm. to just hire a model who won't probably get paid as much to just. Well, more on that in a little bit in terms of the pay structure. Well, never want to let an opportunity slip through his greasy fingers. Easy. <laughs> oh, what's that I hear? Uh, well, basically, I heard that Alundra had a very selfish decision that she had to make. I thought and, I had a uh, slithering. So, uh, Eric Bischoff, who revealed himself in a watching for this, that he is in fact a vampire. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I've got a picture to got prove to it. to prove it and everything. He has a special vampire's medallion, so you know it's true. <laughs> he rings up Alundra. And whether or not that was during her negotiation period or after that, I'm not very clear Mm. on that, but I'm very clear on the negotiations that happened afterwards. And he told her basically, hey, you got that women's championship. Mm. And she said, "Uh, yeah, I think, yeah, but it's theirs. You know, they haven't taken it. I have to give it back. And she's like, oh, bring it to TV. And this is literally like six days after her contract has expired. Mm. She's right on Nitro. And they're like, yeah, we want you to put the the belt in the trash. Now, is it, is it that they suggested that? Because I'm pretty sure in the documentary she implies that she suggested it in a moment of like, like she didn't suggest it seriously, but she was annoyed and upset and they were like, oh, are you willing to talk about it? And she was like, oh, I'll throw, fucking throw it in the trash. I don't care. I don't know. Because I she don't is know. one to kind of... Because in the book, there's no, there's nothing like, oh yeah, it was my idea. It was not. And actually I will say in the book, I was shocked at like how little detail she was like kind of yeah they said bring the belt and then i threw it in the bin and that was kind of it I, like she didn't want to give it more credit than it earned in her mind i can totally understand that but yeah i don't i don't think it was like her idea and that she was like huh, i've got this idea mm. i think she I, I do believe that she probably did offhandedly say i'll chuck it in the trash or whatever like as a kind of a joke and just a way to like you know live through her anger I don't mm. think she seriously meant it, but I can totally un- like I can picture it now, like Eric Bischoff being like, "What's that? Huh? Huh? Mm? You'll throw it in the trash." And I mean, I get to pick it out of the trash, yeah, and I look to look like a good guy. You want to talk about? And like, I'm not saying this because it's like, oh, I felt like you know, I know she was hard done by this. I don't yes. know say she was. They took advantage of a very angry woman who should have been given some time to cool off. But I think this thing is only as big a deal as they've decided to make yes. it for documentaries and mm-hmm. promo packages and talking about you know oh, Eric Bischoff and WCW being controversial or whatever it is because we watched the we watched the segment I, I'm not it's so tame yeah I was gonna say like, I don't want to speak for you but you were a bit underwhelmed oh yeah a hundred percent what happens then so you got, we got uh, Bischoff Bobby Heenan who by the way did not approve of this yeah he doesn't say a single thing uh, Mongo and his dog oh. 
all sat there on, on the announce desk on Monday Nitro. So what happens then? So she comes up and she doesn't even get a seat. They make her stand behind them, which I thought was quite disrespectful, but whatever. Um, and then she starts talking about the um, the championship. She doesn't really say much about it. She doesn't speak ill of the championship. Or She's the more like, I'm Medusa. Yeah. I, I'm, I want, I'm not a Lundra Blaze anymore. Yeah. I've always been Medusa. Just kind of like... This the, is my the, new gimmick. The generic, like, I'm tired of being told what to do, yeah. you know. But it wasn't like this kind of shooting straight from the heart. If anything, no. it felt like she was being careful not to say anything. Yeah, definitely. Well, know? because apparently, she does say this in the documentary, when they were like, oh yeah, let, let's put it in the bin. She was like, no, I don't think I should do that. And they were like, yeah, you should though, shouldn't you? It's a really good idea and it would be really good. And she's like, um... Uh, fine i guess yeah. so i think she's very reluctant to do it i forget if it was her or bischoff but someone in the documentary said oh man you could see the dollar signs yeah i'm like what dollar signs like who made money off of this i mean probably eric eventually from his autobiography i guess but like would it, would it have sold any less no no like for me like this is what i hate about it this is like not in my mind as controversial or as you know, foul play as say reading out the results of the other wrestling I companies know, that's so show much more scummy. or starting three minutes early or yeah. finishing three minutes. Early. I think all those things are actually dirtier business tactics. Mm-hmm. The thing though is, is that with all of those, who gets the flack? Oh, Eric Bischoff, you damn dirty genius. Yeah. Whereas this one, you get like 25% Eric Bischoff's a damn dirty genius. And then the rest of it is Alundra Blaze being that no good Jezebel who, how dare she, she didn't respect her business and she, threw all the women under the bus and like there's no upside for like anyone here really also it's not her fault that all women were on the same bus maybe you should have had more buses <laughs> like but like they set up a wcw women's championship tournament mm. she doesn't win it like she never became the wcw women's champion mm. so like i'm not sure what the point was there where it's like i'm gonna chuck your belt in the trash well, she i can't chuck it she, she goes to pick it. up a trash can which is lined by the way and then she carefully just like... She does remember to twist it though. That oh was, yeah, she yeah. turns it to the camera. Makes me think of Brett with the... And I wrote WCW in reverse for the camera. <laughs> like, same brain there. That, that, that performer the brain. comparisons are there, They Joe. are there. So she turns the belt for the camera so they can all see it. And then she gently, gingerly places it in this very long bin and, and also as well the extended cut Bischoff takes it out of the bin yeah, and puts it back in <laughs> and out again like he's like going, whoa, whoa, whoa. so he in essence yeah. bins it more than her but like and then it's just a bit awkward it's not like oh Eric Bischoff's like whoa can you believe this ladies and gentlemen this is the type of extravagant amazing edgy TV we've got here at WCW yeah, instead it's, it's just uh, yeah. like hmm Okay. And you got Mongo going, well, I'll tell you, there's some bed sheets being wetted up there in Connecticut now. I'm like, yeah, that's right, Mongo. At the corporate headquarters of the rival wrestling company, who we're not going to explicitly name, I'm sure some of the upper management are upset about this. Fucking hell, my heart's racing. Let's get on with some Nitro, lads. Yeah! <laughs> like, it's like so not worth it. I think it was literally Bischoff being like, testing to see what he could do. Not, not, and if it wasn't her, it would have been someone else. Anyone who had a belt, you oh, think, think he can just, I get away with yeah, it? Yeah, he just thought it would make for, you know, moderately more interesting television. He just wants to try a load of bunch of things, throw it at the wall. I've got a question about this, though. Please. How come 
Or maybe they did. How come WWE didn't sue WCW for showing the belt on television? I, that's I don't their, know. That's their patent or their copyright. Or no, whatever. There were a lot of lawsuits at the time between the different companies. Was WCW, it just a case of like too many rocks in the same hole? It that could be squeeze it. Squeeze through. It's like Homer I, and all the diseases. I, I can't explicitly tell you that there wasn't a lawsuit. Right. What I would say is probably more likely is that it was rolled into one of the many, many like antitrust or poor competition violation lawsuits whatever they call them because they had like a million they were running against them at any given time you know yeah. they were already suing them about saying Scott Hall looks too much like Razor Ramon like you know yeah. so I, I but there wasn't like kind of a yes legal injunction you know it wasn't like say when you know in ECW if you remember that story where Mike Awesome left with the ECW championship mm. and Paul Heyman like had a fucking judge file a federal yeah. injunction saying if you show it on TV you're gonna be there was none of that like but honestly I don't think it meant anything to them at the time and like when WWE brought in the women's championship then like you know a year or so later it was as if there was like a big like ah take that WWE it's just like here it is yeah you know eh. and it's not like WWF it didn't really? matter to them, I yeah, think. Yeah, they didn't care. And like, because as is evidenced by the fact that they let her take the belt when yeah. she left. You put the belt in the bin. Vince McMahon put you and the entire division in the bin. Yeah. Like, that's de- they've already kind of one-upped you there. Like, you can't do us when we've already done ourselves. Yeah. Like, you know. And it's, it's, it's a yes and. It's, you can't go, fuck, you know, and I, I hate any wrestling company that does this where you have someone come over and be like, oh, I'm not going to be like in this other company where they do X, Y, and Z. And they're like, right, you need to do the exact opposite of that mm. now in this company you're in now because otherwise what's the point about complaining about x y and z yeah and like i'm sorry but having a second rate women's championship tournament that you didn't care about mm. and you didn't promote you know that's not worth trucking a bit you know and that's the thing is like it is clearly given that woman countless nights of no I sleep i know it has etched a hole in her fucking soul mm-hmm. when she goes to the hall of fame and she meets vince mcmahon she's fucking trembling crying i'm so is. sorry and he's like about what like he doesn't even fucking care no, he doesn't care and he's like oh look at the video package ah oh, look at that like he, he fucking gives a shit if anything i imagine on some level he was probably impressed the amount of times where she's like oh i rang i was gonna ring him to try and see if they and i'm like no i'm too no and like she, she details one story about where she rang up at one point and like when she was finishing up in WCW and she rang him up basically kind of trying to inquire if they want the belt back. Oh yeah, she just was going to give yeah. it back. That's and all. the secretary was like, I know you, you broke Vince's heart. Never call here again. I'm like, okay, strange kettle of fish and can of worms we might be opening here. Yes. Talking about the overly defensive uh, private secretary and assistant. Mm. But... That's a different podcast, me thinks. Yeah. <laughs> but, um, yeah, I just felt the whole thing was bullshit, mm-hmm. you know? And I think it's a fine clip, but it shouldn't have ruined someone's life. And it shouldn't have made her... She's blacklisted. I know, it's ridiculous. What's stupid? This is the thing. Like, it's just stupid. This is professional wrestling, where so much terrible stuff happens to wrestlers and companies all the time and like it's kind of part and parcel now that if you're a wrestler you have to have thick skin like that's pretty important she she says in the doc that she's like why did i do it i did it for a paycheck that's literally it you know and and she's like could i have said no yes but i didn't so she she owns it at least but it's not like even though she doesn't eat her you know, because like she was kind of given a choice, but also not really. It's mm. not like she was told like, oh, okay, so on the one hand, you can put your title in the bin. Or do you not want to be signed? Or you could, <laughs> yeah, you could do um, a 60-minute Ironman match. That's not the option she was being given. It was, do you want some screen time? Yes, please. Yeah. Right, do that then. Okay. Mm, I know. And she like, you know, 
she kind of does this thing in in the book and in the documentary and i kind of i don't agree with it but she kind of like throws a lot of the other ladies underneath the bus then as a result because it's like right i'm here now i guess She's like, but there's no one left to wrestle. Mm. She couldn't complain about you know, there being the Nitro girls or like Stacey Keebler and Tori Wilson, the kind I mean, of the models and stuff that are being brought in. Is that true? Because I mean, I know obviously it's true that Stacey Keebler and the Nitro girls were a big hit, but there were other actual oh, wrestlers, yeah, there right? Were, like, yeah, there were other women in the company. But like, I, I mean, like actual wrestlers, not on her level. But they would bring that's, in that's, women from yeah. Japan. Like there was people There's there. There's no women on her level though. She's a top star. I think the issue here is is that you get to a point like where one of the things they did with her when she came back was they put her with like Macho Man Randy Savage. Be like, all right, you're going to be like you know one of you're going to be his like valet, the new Miss Elizabeth. It's when you know he did his Team Madness mm. kind of midlife crisis gimmick. But then like week two, they've added two other blonde ladies and yeah. Medusa is something now one of three blonde busty ladies and with already, the macho man she shouldn't have been a valet yeah She's and it's, way above that and it's like it's one thing where it's like all right we do a little step back reconfigure but this is like kind of we're just thinking of things for you to do now yeah. they had her training people down the power plant okay but she describes like hey i'm in the ring training stacy keebler who's like 15 years younger than me and she's been paid like nearly 10 times what I've been paid. What? You know? Like, she's been paid a good six figures and Medusa has been paid a fraction what? of What? And like, if you're in the ring and you're trying to teach someone who like, you know, Stacey Keebler was a cheerleader and a, a nitro yeah. girl and a dancer and a model. She never became a fantastic in-ring wrestler despite being one of my faves. That's mm. besides the point. But I get that. The training your replacement who's getting paid more Way than you more. and that's oh that's so unfair like, surely someone in HR would go don't have them do that that's, that's yeah that's a terrible idea you know oh, one nice so thing sad. about that though is that when she came back for the hall of fame and stuff like that like Stacy and Tori were like kind of you know they were there to make sure everything was okay for her they helped her with all of her stuff and she was like oh it was nice that I spent all that time with helping them because they helped me because she was all freaking out about like you know the hair and makeup and dressing up for this big event because they were you know they were more used to it at that point because she'd been doing monster truck driving. And that's the thing where you shouldn't, in these situations, throw the other people under the bus because it's not like it was Stacey Hubler's fault. She didn't yeah. ask to be paid. No. It's not like she came in and was like, I'm only going to sign if you pay me ten more times than more her. than Medusa. Yeah, whatever it is. But also she has to train me. <laughs> and I have to be extra crap as well. Yeah. Like, you know. <laughs> but she decides at this point, you know, coming into the late 90s now and... WCW is kind of losing its way a little bit narratively and she's worried about there not being a space for her. So she goes away and she gets even bigger implants than she had before and she's like, I'm going to rebrand, come back, you know, as this kind of busty dream America girl that they want me to be. She dyed her hair like bright red and bright blue with a white kind of blonde in the middle, which, you know, we saw a bunch of clips of that and it's like, oh, you know, that's quite standard you know these days you think of like alexa bliss all mm. the kind of harley quinn inspired looks we've seen over the years yeah, now yeah. Like, the dyed hair streaks of color yeah very very normal but at the time mm. this was like i love as well that she's very american flag branded i'm not normally into the whole patriotism thing but yeah she is she is like miss america yeah. pretty she much. is and it's really actually it's really nice to see um i will say though like it went down really badly with them because oh. they were like woman dyeing her hair those colours of course yeah because it's the 90s it's, it's late 90s yeah. she says at one point even you know she came up with him in AWA and he was a, a good friend but she was pulled aside by DDP and he was like 
Medusa, what's going on? She's like, what? He's like, Deuce, you look like a fucking clown. Like, oh what, my god! Like, what have you done? Like, you know, these people are kind of like, why did you do this to yourself? And she's I, like, I'm trying to do what they fucking want. Like, like these are wrestlers who they must have some modicum of respect for Japanese wrestlers, right? Where where overseas they are, you know, as I said, Aja Kong had a green mohawk. Yeah, like, I know. They all. I just don't understand how they can be like, oh no, a woman can't have dyed hair. Like, I guess at the time it was just like, no one can have dyed hair. It was just different, I think it's is what it weird. was. It's weird, yeah. I mean, one thing, done. if she was like the new girl or whatever, but it's because it's Medusa who you've known since the 80s is looking oh, away. Oh, I it's see. Like, I mean, we were watching some clips and matches of her around this time and Bobby Heaton's like, she's the world's sexiest barber pole. So which funny. is a funny line, but it's like, she's not been treated, even though... She's trying to be that now. She's not been treated as like a sex object on TV. She's mm. been treated as this kind of like, I don't know, Russo has written her at this point as a kind of an ornery, slightly older lady who doesn't like that wrestling is this tits and ass show and mm. she complains about it. And I'm like, no one wants to be the fucking prude character in wrestling. That's such a shit gimmick. It is, but also... It is kind of what she's actually like, though, because she yeah. was genuinely saying, I don't want to be booked like this. I'm not like those other girls. Like, you'll, you'll never hear a more harrowing promo before an evening gown match yes. than Medusa, who she does this, like, she's, she's nearly in tears. Straight from the soul. And she's like, do you think I want to go out there and rip clothes off of women and, like, just, like, degrade myself and herself in front of everyone? Yeah. And it's like, yeah. Probably not the hot ticket you thought it would be booking her in an evening game match where she leaves looking like distraught. It's mm-hmm. like not really much titillation going on there. No. There was one lone bright spot which we were sent in that we had to go out of our way to check out. And no, it's not her dumping the nitro cologne on Bobby the Brain Heenan. No. <laughs> Why? <laughs> but her little mini feud and interactions with young Evan Courageous in the WCW in late 1999. Uh, Joe, Evan Courageous and her were booked inside a world title tournament. And Medusa was booked against men on a number of occasions in this tournament. And how would you describe young Evan Courageous? Oh, he's a himbo. (laughs) He's such a himbo. I love Evan Courageous so much. This guy. This guy, what's he up to these days? I think we should bring him back. Yeah, it seems like he just... Disappeared from wrestling around 2006, 2007. That's uh, a shame. He was signed to a developmental deal after WCW went under, and he went off and he did some acting. He was, mm. did some bit part roles here or there, but nothing on him past 010, it seems. Because he's basically like a, f- a baby face Ryan Nemeth here. <laughs> like, he is so stupid. But he's built like a brick shithouse, Joe. Oh, that's true. But he's really sweet. Aww. And he gets interviewed beforehand. It's like, oh, how, how do you feel about wrestling a woman? He's like, well, I've never wrestled a woman before. Well, so Medusa sure is pretty. She's sure is really pretty. So I'm really excited to earn her respect, and I hope I do a good job. Like <laughs> none, I have so many issues with the way men talk about women when they have to wrestle them. Because I do remember early on in this podcast, I thought I know what I'll do. I'll show Joe like you know Candice LeRae wrestles a guy in PWG, yeah. and you'd be like, whoa. <laughs> I did like it a lot. But there was a few tropes we fall into. Yes, which is very repetitive. I ain't gonna wrestle no woman or like, you know, you're just a girl. Yeah. Or like, or sometimes where it's just that kind of, you know, like, you may be a woman, but I'm not going to treat you any differently. Yeah, exactly. And, just, and then it becomes like so not a factor. It mm-hmm. becomes like... A factor. A factor, <laughs> like, you know. Which I, I understand we're describing like 
basically every scenario you could think of and saying we don't like it. But it's just it's just the fact that like I feel part of the reason why intergender wrestling is still looked down upon so much is because it really reinforces the way it's been booked previously is really reinforces the fact that it's a man against a woman and it doesn't need to be because wrestling is fake. So we don't really need yes. You know, okay, we can get around, so we get around it. <laughs> I don't think we need to constantly draw attention to the fact that it's a man wrestling a woman. I think they should just have a match. It's not like, you know, men wrestling men are like, I'm going to have a fight with you because you're a man and I'm a man. Actually, I say that, I'm pretty sure there have been a couple of feuds that Probably. have gone exactly like that. Because I'm a man. <laughs> <laughs> I just liked the fact that Evan Courageous was just like, he just like didn't didn't care. Didn't, he didn't seemed... really have anything to say about it. He was just like, yeah, I'm excited. I get to have a match with someone cool. I liked that they had it that he was kind of outmatched, and not because she was bigger and stronger than him, or because you know they made out like obviously that he was like infatuated with her. But it wasn't yes. like she was like, hey baby, and gyrating and grinding. I she mean, did. There was a bit. <laughs> she did very little though, and she does it yeah. with this little kind of like, this is so easy smirk. Like That's I don't even it. have she, to, you know. She turns it on and off at the flip of a switch, like making it very clear to the audience that she's not actually like that. Yes. She's just doing it to distract him. Like it's literally she... like like going look over there and then doing a low blow, and instead she's going and touching his bottom or whatever. Or like when he whips her against the ropes and she comes into him, and instead you know she just presses herself up on his shoulders and stares into his eyes and he's like duh and they're just like <laughs> trapped in this beautiful perfect moment together it is the most rated PG oh, yeah. kind of sexual tension oh, you'll ever get it's a sexy match for but sure but it is so fucking perfectly done I just love because he's like this young little idiot yeah she's just this woman who knows how to deal with it with an Egypt that's like it, him that's it the age difference that's really it. makes it special the fact that she is quite a bit I think she's like 15 years older than him roughly thereabouts and yeah. um, he just seems like such a naive little boy but he also like it's not like he's angry when she's distracting him with her sexuality. It's almost like he's like confused by it. Yes. Because he's like, oh, but I, he's I like this. A little bit, but like. also, I'm not going to win. But also, I don't know if that matters. And <laughs> it's just really sweet. And then there's a moment where he does like an Irish whip to her against the ropes. And then she runs back and jumps up into his arms. Yes. Kind of. Yeah, we mentioned. Yeah. And like yeah. straddles him. <laughs> and it's like very flirty, very like, ooh. Yeah, I think uh, our pal Claire did some fantastic fire yes. after that. It, it, it captures the essence of the beauty of this. Mm. So yeah, we watched that. And we also did watch then they had a match at um, Starcage. Yes. Which was then for the Cruiserweight Championship. Mm-hmm. Which which is funny because he comes out, he's got his new girlfriend, which is... Spice. Spice from the Nitro Girls. Check out real wrestling fan Joe Graham here. Who correctly identified the Nitro Girl. And I, which Nitro Girl? And which Nitro Girl I challenge any of you, including me, to, to do the same. No, there's a the couple struggles. of our fans that would identify Spice. You she's she's a fan favourite, yeah. Guys, wait, come on. Kimberly was the best. Were you paying attention <laughs> to all the Nitro Girls videos where there was a segment called Kimberly's the Best? <laughs> With me, Kimberly Pays. <laughs> But yeah, the uh, the twist on that match at Starcade was that Evan Courageous gets dumped by his girlfriend, who then partners up with Medusa. The thing about that, though, I don't like is that they kind of do the same shtick again that they did with Medusa, only they do it worse with Spice. Yeah, it's not as good. So she uses, again, her sexuality to kind of distract him in the match so that he comes and looks over at her and she's all like rubbing her body against him. And then she low blows him and Medusa wins. And it's just like, why would you... 
I think it's such a Vince Russo thing to do of like, oh, we've, we've accidentally latched onto a really good idea that really hit home. How can we crowd. make it better? How can we yeah. make it better? And you make it way worse. Way worse. Yeah. By just doing the same thing again, but but worse. It's the relentless pursuit of having a new bit every single yeah. week. And you can't just let... Like, I, if I was them, I would have had months and months yes. and months. And I'd have had, you're like, on to the next thing, on to the next thing. I'd have it, like, slowly working it around so that, you know, maybe Medusa falls for him as well. And, like, you know, he earns her respect by just, like, respecting her so consistently, even though she yeah. keeps beating him. And maybe eventually, like, she turns around and... I don't know. There's like so many different things they could do with it. That isn't just oh, and he has a girlfriend now, and then she's sexy, and he gets distracted and loses. Poor Evan Courageous. No wonder he couldn't make it in the rest yeah. of business long term. Too, there's too many sexy ladies in wrestling for him, for like, him to, to succeed. The message becomes not oh wow, Medusa is really smart. Like she used her cunning in that match to take advantage. Yeah, of him. instead it becomes women Evan, and Jezebel. Yeah, and Evan loves the ladies. Yeah. You but know? don't trust a woman. <laughs> I think like for her. It didn't mean that much, but mm. I think in their mind they thought they were throwing her the ultimate bone by having her win the, the Cruiserweight Championship in that match. Mm. The idea being like, oh, look, you're the first woman to win a men's championship here. You know, don't say it, but like, like China in WWF. Yes, yes. And I think for her, it's like, it probably would have meant more, even though the belt meant less. It would have meant more for her to have that WCW Women's Championship yeah. because, you know, this is the second time they've told her at WCW that they're going to give her that spotlight and they haven't really part of her being booked as like this cruiserweight run i think partly leans into as well this idea of like oh she buried the women's division at wwf by putting the title in the trash because she didn't go on to then it's not like she was like oh i'm putting this title in the trash and i'm going to be wrestling the women in wcw it's i'm putting this title in the trash and i'm going to wrestle the men yeah so it seems very much like i am above women yeah when you book it that way which is never it was never her that's not what she's I mean, it's, she can be a bit like that occasionally, but it's not really what she was like. No, but you can see where that kind of frustration is, is yes. built in at that point. But like, honestly, where you're at this moment, you know that WCW is probably in its dying days. She was definitely concerned about her future in wrestling. A, you know, injuries. The age was, was you know, going to make injuries get worse. She went on wrestling. You know, we think it's bad now. It's better now than it was back then in terms of the age not quite all Japan women's, but, you know, when you're 35, you were pretty much being shown the door in, mm. in wrestling in America if you're a woman. So she was looking for outside ventures because she knew she was going to be welcome back to WWE. And if she was, I doubt it would have been a particularly flattering role they would have given her. She probably would have been like a, a jobber to the stars or whatever. The thing is with that, though, we don't know. We don't know. We don't know. And it's the thing, she was too scared to ask. Well, she was scared you know? of the assistant who might have beaten her up. Or Vince McMahon who, like, you know. The one thing I will say about the Vince thing, though, apparently, if you catch the Raw from that Nitro where she dumps the, the mm. belt in the trash, apparently Vince, throughout the broadcast, you can hear him... Like his energy goes because that happens at the start of Nitro and he goes to me like aha to being like welcome back to Monday Night Raw ladies and gentlemen like you can tell that he's like Fuck. he's bummed out he's by bummed it, yeah. out by it yeah I think it would have felt like a bit of a personal betrayal yeah. for him because of the connection they both had so yeah. obviously the obvious chemistry that was yeah, there yeah like. I think they probably did consider themselves as friends but now, that's always only when it's convenient for him though yeah so I know don't, right don't feel sorry for him well all I'll say is is that it was a smart thing indeed that she kept her eyes and ears open into the ground and you know having that little bit of paranoia that your job is going to be taken away from you or your future is going to be cut away from you it may drive you crazy at points in your life but 
She always ensured that she had an iron in the fire. And once again, I take my hat off to Medusa and flip it because this is this is so brilliant. Remember Halloween Havoc 1995, oh, Joe? Oh, do I. Our very first pay-per-view classic. What happened on top of Kobo Hall? <laughs> we had a Monster Truck Madness match where Hulk Hogan in a special bicep monster truck wrestled uh, it's a penis kind brother of. come on god uh, I can't really remember what the match was like because they didn't wrestle obviously because they're monster trucks and they, they didn't race they just kind of rammed into each other but on they top. didn't really did they and then the giant got out and then yeah. he fell out of, he came out of his bone car yeah, and then he stood on the edge the giant. and he fell off he fell off a skyscraper and, and he then, died and then Hulk Hogan went help 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 oh, yeah, help 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 and then Eric Bischoff went no <laughs> Oh, great time as always. Oh, now, man. that was the beginning of a relationship between WCW and a company called Monster Jam, who are the premier monster trucking federation in the United States of America. Home to names such as Gravedigger, the Hulk Hogan brackets, and or Randy Savage and or Vince McMahon of monster trucking. Mm. So there was a guy involved in WCW called Mike Weber, who's basically the monster truck wrangler. And all throughout the mid to late 90s, when WCW was hot, they had all these different themed WCW cars in Monster Jam. So if you're going to the Monster Jam show, you're going to see the Goldberg car, the Sting what car. What like it have a bald head or something? Yeah, the end Wait, of, did it? It was a Goldberg theme coloured and it had oh. the, 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 the uh, shit tattoos on it wow. and everything. There was an NWO black and white car. Cool. There was a Wolfpack car. Sting had one. Hogan had one. Love to see this. Big business. You did they know. do toys? Yes. So Hot Wheels made toys of them. Then the That's WCW so action cool. figures had toys with them. Huge. So yeah, over WWF, we had Austin driving monster trucks and running over limousines. But wow. WCW were actually in the business of monster trucks. Wow. And around about late 1999, early 2000, when Medusa is training people in the power plant, Mike Weber, who has since left WCW and is working full time with Monster Jam, is like, hey, Deuce, you know, we've got a monster truck here and... You know, we don't have female drivers, but, you know, I'm thinking that maybe you could give this a whirl and see what you think about it. And she's like, what? I've never done it before. He's like, yeah, I know. But, you know, you go you go with Eric and the boys to Sturgis for the bike uh, show every year. Yeah, and she had a fat hog or whatever. The Harley Davidson. Oh, yeah. She, and she the owned, fattest of hogs. She she owned a fat hog shop as well. She owned a fat hog shop? Yeah, yeah. She she had... Was it like a repair? Yeah, yeah. Oh, that's cool. And it was in Tampa, Florida. So all the boys wow. used to take their hogs to deuces to have her tune them up. I bet. They, God, the sexy mechanic there's nothing she can't do I, oh no she she had she had her businesses all lined up so she was like okay you know fuck it i'll, I'll give it a whirl and literally the guy is like i'll bring the monster truck to your house have a, have a drive around in it and just see just how you get your on. neighborhood see and what the neighbors think she takes to it very very well uh, all i will say is for someone who was an avid player of monster truck madness on windows 95 back in the day it was fascinating to read and find out all about the world of monster trucks. I'll try and be brief, though, because oh. this isn't how-to monster trucks. Mm. And I feel like we might be outside our remit here. But, Joe, monster trucks are fucking huge and scary and awesome. And you have a special perspex floor because your car is so big. Ooh. You can't look out over the top. You have to look underneath on the ground. Yeah. And the front wheels and the back wheels go separately. Yeah. And back in the late 90s, there were like nothing other than a seatbelt. And it was extremely dangerous. Mm. And you and I have watched a lot of clips of Medusa driving mm. around in her monster truck. Yes. It's fucking wild. It's so cool. You see her do like, hey, Sammy Guevara can do the 630. Medusa can do that in a fucking monster truck. 
driving into a straight wall. <laughs> so yeah, she drives it around and does this test drive. She's like, hey, this is awesome. I'm really good at it. And he's like, yeah, you are. He calls the Monster Jam people in there and they're like, fuck, like, you know, big marketing opportunity here. You could put Medusa on the side of the uh, of the truck if you want. Made in the USA. You've name recognition. She's been on TV for like, you yeah, know. Yeah, the trademark. Yeah, she's been on TV for like 13 years nationally yeah. at this point. People know she is. Surprisingly, Monster Jam and wrestling, a lot of crossover there. So they think they've got a built-in star. And she joins Monster Jam and ends up being one of the most successful women to ever enter into the world of monster trucking. And has blazed a trail for women to now there are now more women in monster trucking and like she can literally draw a line from like a young girl she met in like 2001 at a meet and greet she's like oh let me just like you and now she's riding the medusa truck you know there's a lineage there now and like it's awesome like that she found this whole other world look there's loads of problems in it and I will say, from reading it, it made me realize that you can take any organization and it can be big. And as long as it doesn't need to have wrestlers in it or monster trucks, there's going to be bullshit when there's independent contractors, which they yes. allegedly are. Mm. There's all these issues of people like, say, Medusa, whose truck is owned by Monster Jam. So when she fucking wrecks it, she flips it around and all the wheels come off. They'll pay to have it fixed. But there are people in the competitions who will it's all their own money so like there was this that rival so unfair yeah there was this rival she had this couple and they fucking curse her up and down and they'd be like what's wrong she'd be like what's wrong she's like every time we do the trick you've just done we have to fucking mortgage our house it costs 300 grand to fix this fucking monster truck where do you, the wheels are like custom made you know it's i do feel it's, it's wild it's obviously unfair but i do feel like medusa would never let that happen to herself oh, because no. like you can be so obviously you have to be really savvy about this stuff like you have to reach out for sponsorship and things like that and that's it when she was like negotiating it's like right, if i'm coming in i'm coming in as a star yeah you know and you know there's loads of bullshit in it like every year they would have the world championships and if you won the world championship they had a deal with like ford or whatever it was where you could get any model from their line so any truck bike car whatever you wanted you got it sight on you know no matter what you get it the year she finally won the championship, they didn't give him out. What? You know? Or this stuff, like, she beat, she won the world title twice, once in freestyle and once in the racing elements. Racing is self-explanatory. Freestyle is you do tricks for a set amount of time, kind of like you would do with show jumping or whatever, okay. but in monster trucks. But there's an element of kind of like, ah, uh, we'll decide the scores because mm. they're decided by the judges, in inverted commas, and then there's a fan element, which is like, well, how is that decided? Mm. And the year she won the freestyle, they're like, oh yeah, this other guy who the crowd like, he also wins. So they shared it three ways oh, that year. Say. But double world champion. And she did it up until very, up until only like a few years ago. Yeah. She was doing it longer, I think, than she was wrestling in the end. Not many women in the world can say they've trailblazed a pathway for women in two separate careers. And two separate, very male-dominated worlds. Very male-dominated careers, yeah. You know. Professional wrestling and monster trucks. That's so cool. And it's a really, really scary thing to be doing. You yeah. Know, uh, we, I, I'll say as folks, just look at any of the compilations of her doing her thing. And you'll see literally that car is coming apart at the seams. Well, yeah, because they're designed... As far as I know, they're designed to crumple. To crumple. Yeah. The, the, the chassis. Chassis, yeah, um, is mostly decorative. It doesn't really offer any protection. It's designed to come off. 
And so basically the only protection you have is your seatbelt and a metal frame that surrounds the car. And but if you if you come out of your seatbelt, that's it. Yeah. You're probably dead. Well, when they started, it was just the seatbelt. But later on, like as the years went on, they improved. You know, you'd have mm. like kind of a, a harness almost that you'd be put in. Right, yeah, but like a big, roller coaster. Yeah, yeah. so like, you'd be kind of kept in place because she'd be saying, you know, her neck took a pound. But her boobs as well. Yeah, she said that finding a fire suit, which is when you catch on fire in monster trucking you need to have a special flame retardant suit yeah which finding one for her very large chest was very difficult yeah. she has been set on fire on several occasions wow. you know not even noticing it because the fire suit is like you know you don't know and just, oh i'm on fire excuse me a pop like yeah. roll 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 talking about like random bits i remember like you know getting sick through the helmet because oh. your head head has hit the top so many times and you're concussed her having a guy on standby every time that when she came out of the monster truck, they quickly gave her mascara so she could put on her makeup because you have to expect to be the glamorous lady for the interviews. Yeah. It's Medusa and you can't be like covered in sick and fucking blood. Oh. It's, it's the, the, they didn't look after their racers particularly well is what I would say. Mm. They got no food at the events. What? You know. They that's m- fucking pisses me off so much. And I just. God damn it. That's the one thing. The one thing. Yeah, they get pizza sometimes or like, you know, after they do, you know, all day tuning up their monster trucks, then they're racing, battered to fuck. Then you have to do eight hours of meet and greets because everyone who comes to the Monster Jam show, you're guaranteed you get to do a meet and greet with the drivers afterwards you get paid extra for that no that's part of the project Fucking you know hell. all part and parcel so like it's so much of it it's just like wrestling and that you do yeah. it for love and that's it the people that you would she would be like the people who'd be on the tours they're like they loved it it's, it's all they've ever wanted yeah. to do it's like a very niche sub-genre of the racing world or whatever it is mm. but like yes there's corporate people who don't understand like the people who owned at one point were the people who owned like farley circus they like they didn't really know what they owned wow. i think hot wheels owned it at one point as well okay, the toy yeah. company but like it's men in suits deciding what like people who are given their fucking blood and their heart yeah. and their soul and there was a point in her life then later on where i think it's a combination of injuries from wrestling and the monster jam kind of caught up with her she had severe problems with her neck she had problems with her implants. She had problems with, like, knee. Um, she came back to WWE to do the Evolution show, the oh, Battle Royale. Yeah. But she could only do, like, one spot because her, her leg was so messed up. Mm. And I think she is still wanting to do a retirement match. But I think at this point now, maybe the injuries. And, like, cause she was hitting hard back in those days. And, you know, she clearly worked hurt, worked concussed, drove yeah. monster trucks hurt. She you needs know. a big payday so she can get that stem cell treatment that everyone's getting. Yeah, the, the the Nash special, like. Honestly, at this point, I feel anything is possible with the right amount of money. Yeah, I think that they've shown at this point, you know, with Sting, the Great Muta, all these other people, that I don't think age is necessarily a factor in giving someone a send-off that will make them happy. Yeah. You know, and she's done some really cool stuff since, you know, leaving wrestling. Obviously, the Hall of Fame was important to her. But I think there is kind of a bitterness associated with that still. Oh, really? Because it's like the next night is when they, you know, no more divas. It's going to be women, you know. Mm. Uh, We got rid of the divas belt, the women's championship. The night after. The night after at WrestleMania. It's the night after she did it. And I think she really thought, you know, you can see all these interviews she's doing. She's like, I'm back and I've got a voice and I've got a big voice. And it's like, actually, I think they want you back on a legends deal hey yeah. you get a figure you're in the 2k game but, but shut, up. shut up now yeah. yeah and i think you know she in her book there's kind of you know a lovely moment where you think it's the natural end where it's like hey hall of fame wow that's it 
And then it's like, yeah, and the next year they invited me back and I got kind of slightly less good treatment. And the year after I didn't get an invite. And then, you know, they, so they brought me in for Raw 1000 and I did, you know, kind of a silly gimmick with the 24-7 belt. But I think she wanted... Imagine sh- if they treated a man of equivalent, like, stardom like that. It's that's just it. taking the piss. But she's tra- they're treating her like just kind of like a, you know, not to disparage any one random, you know male legend inverted commas but she's been treated like just kind of one of the randos yeah you know just like not a legend which is what she is she's an icon and i think she's not happy with that she's done some agenting for billy corgan's nwa okay she was the commissioner for stardom over in japan at one point which i thought was a really cool uh, role for her for sure and i think yeah like She's had a lot of sadness in her personal life. Mm. And I didn't want to go into too much about that here in some respects. Like, she's had a lot of unhappy marriages. Uh, you know, wrestlers like Eddie Gilbert, uh, you know, men with serious drug problems, you know, really kind of, really toxic, damaging relationships involving men in wrestling who she won't name. Stuff involving, you know, promises of children and leaving wives and... Yeah you know miscarriages she miscarried twins oh uh, she had those names tattooed on her and i think if there's one thing that has affected her long term it's that i think she had attempts to adopt that fell through you oh. know you know the boy you think you're gonna adopt and you have all the kind of the trials all the and all the build up to it and then it's like oh actually running. he can go live with his sister over here instead so oh, they're gonna be adopted such together complicated and it was twice that happened to her where oh. you know so she's she's happily married to her marine husband now and they seem extremely in love and very well suited to each other oh. uh, to the point where he wrote this bit at the end of her book where he's like and who the fuck did they get to announce the women's championship? Lita. Lita from the Alishera. And they never did it. Could never lace my wife's boots. Like, like literally to the point of like, I feel there's a negativity now with her and her kind of headspace surrounding the modern history of women's wrestling. Yeah. And I hey, saw... find yourself a guy who'll go out there and do it oh, for yeah, you. And it's cool. Don't in... put it in a book though, because it's not. It just felt very yeah. petty and mean-spirited. Yeah, it's such a shame as well because it's very short-sighted of her to not be able to look at her own career and see how few choices she was given and not understand that that's exactly how it works for other women too. If not worse, because she at least had that legendary, you know, reputation where she had managed to build up her career as a legitimate athlete before it all went sexualized. It's no one's place to tell someone that they've not learned the lessons of their own career. But I do find it very surprising that she would be like, and Trish Stratus and Leah, you're like part of the reason why it was so shit to begin. I'm like, they weren't given the choice either. They're just pieces on this moving board of WWE deciding how they want to portray the history of women. And I kind of feel like if you start kicking off and you start making disparaging claims about them and all that, and people just like, I feel like by trying to be online and be on Twitch and be on Mm. YouTube and be on Twitter and be part of the conversation. I don't want to say she's Ryback, but she's fallen into that kind of like online contrarian route. Yeah. And like, you can't help but be out of touch, you know, at that point. To be fair, she, I, she is. I want that for wrestlers. I don't want them to be in touch. Like, it's too much work. And I think yeah. we're all maybe a bit too in touch these yeah, days. Yeah, no, that's fair. Yeah. And I think wrestlers have earned to be offline for a bit but that doesn't mean that you should treat people with disrespect I don't you think your ire should be pointed at like Becky Lynch and no. you know Leah and Trish and all that and even, and even if 
we're taking it as old school, like she's angling for a match. It's not going to be viewed that way. No, you have to be really careful with that stuff. You know, think about the Ken Charmack episode. And yeah. like He's went through every emotion under the sun of trying to get a match in WWE and every single one of them made him seem like they could... Like, like, yeah, and if they can go, oh no, they'd be hard to do business with them. They're not just, they're just not going to do business yeah. with you because they don't care that much. And it's also putting the cart before the horse with this business. Like, you have to get the agreement from the people involved and the company involved before you can go ahead and stop mentally booking these feuds with these people like yeah i think that if i was her i would look to the other companies that are more than happy to give a spotlight to a legend and but i think for her like for her maybe it's a, it's the wwe it's the vince mcmahon thing like that's that's the world in her mind that's the history but like hey you know aw featured her once you know impact yeah. i'm sure i'd happy have her stardom nwa there's all these companies that i'm sure would love to have a legendary woman stardom i think still is, looks the part is great you know it's such a shame that outside of wwe there's no real place for veteran women because yeah, their the... veteran women are like wrestling on pay-per-view right now like trish and lita are having yeah. you know 2023 or wrestling more matches than they have in the last like five years yeah. so uh, but I... she obviously sees that and wants that for herself and i think there's i do think there i think she is trying sense. to work this feud into a thing it's not gonna happen but it's not gonna happen like that you like, have to be you have to be kind first and then you work the feud. When you add kind of intensity and all oh, here my regrets together. Yes. I don't think in wrestling it's ever going to come across as anything other than Sarah Grapes. Unless you're literally doing it on a microphone in yeah. a ring. Like she mentioned in the Hall of Fame and in the Hall of Fame it was kind of sweet. But then like in the book it felt slightly less sweet where she's like my twins who weren't born if they had been born they would have become wrestlers and they would have been twins and they would have been amazing because I would have trained them and they would have carried on my legacy. And I look at the Bella twins and how successful they are. Mm. And I think my girls would have been like the Bella twins. And I kind of think, wow, the Bella twins are on a reality show. How come I wasn't on a reality show? Mm. I should have been on a reality show. My girls could have been on a reality show. It would have been, no one gave me that opportunity. How come I, literally there's a bit where she's like, how come I didn't get to make a wine? I'm like, ah, like, <laughs> It Bless it make her. it's sad. It is. It makes me sad, and I There's feel like a lot of really complicated feelings all wound up with that. It is, and it's not particularly healthy to assume you know the future of even if her kids had been born. Right? You do, you can't you wish can't, that on them. No, you can't. No, no parent should ever be like you're going to become just like me. It's not healthy, no, and it's, it's also as, if anything, you're guaranteeing your kid to rebel against you and have nothing to do with you. Mm. So it's it's just not it's not good for her, and it's sad to see her doing that stuff because I, I can totally feel that must really be hard to have lost two children like that and then imagine this future wherein everything is beautiful and perfect it, it would dominate your thoughts every single day yeah you know and, and i would but in also, my mind having it tattooed on you that's a constant reminder you will yeah. see that every day you will think about it every single day and and I, I think, think she, she does yeah absolutely if you get a tattoo of something like that i think it's very intentional that you want to think about it all the time but i will say for Folks out there, and I kind of, I used to think this a little bit, a little bit, I never was whole hog about it, but there are folks out there who I think they reckon that that Hall of Fame is some sort of a magic wand where it's like, mm. that's your happy ending, and then you're off into the undying lands with Bilbo <laughs> and them, and that's it, story is over. For them, who are making DVDs and whatnot, mm. yeah, but it's your life and you still have to live it, and I just kind of think that folks out there who think that Maybe with the posthumous awards or whatever it is, but like, there's so many folks out there who keep saying and thinking, oh, if they only got in that Hall of Fame, 
would have been so much better. And I'm like, really? I don't think so. Like, if China yeah. got in the Hall of Fame during her lifetime, I, in my opinion, hate me if you want, it wouldn't have made a fucking bit of difference. Oh, I disagree with but China. That, that's me, though. That's think, my opinion. I think with China, it would have made the world of difference to her. Ultimately, I don't think anything would have changed. No. But I do think she would have really appreciated that on a fundamental level. I wonder with Alundra if that Hall of Fame, if that has been a overall positive or a negative. I think it is an overall positive simply because it's put her story out there now. And yeah. even if you have to do a little bit more digging and find out a little bit more about it, that at least she's more than a gif of a belt being dropped into a bin. Yes. Because... No one deserves that in wrestling. No. Least of all her, who I think is honestly, I can't think of a wrestler we've done an episode on where we've done like a series of matches and you've seen the clear evolution and the improvement. We've done so many episodes where we're like, here's this fucking lad, here he is 10 years later doing the same L shots. Yeah, you know? nothing wrong with that. But <laughs> no, it's, yeah, impressive what she's managed. Yes, but I think she was uh, evolution of women's wrestling incarnate for me, in her career. I think the really good thing about her being ducked into the hall of fame is just her getting to repair things with vince because yeah, i think it obviously that was a gaping hole in yeah her. it he hung did, over her yeah. a lot and i don't think that's healthy either no. and i think it's been really good for both of them i think it's been probably good for him as well for them to kind of let bygones be bygones and accept that things have moved on and they're much yeah. older now yeah growing old is a wonderful thing i think for stuff like that for yes. realizing that those little things didn't really matter, really matter. i don't think it ever mattered much to him uh, after the initial after the sting, initial and I then he probably think... cut that part of his heart off like he did the rest of his heart but <laughs> yeah no I don't think it I, and that's always the sad thing about Vince McMahon how many times we've reached this conclusion but lads it never upset him as much as it upset you and yeah. if it upset him as much in your mind it was probably because he wanted you to think it upset him that mm -hmm. much so it would upset you more <laughs> yeah exactly the iconic career of Alundra Blaze. And you can't blaze a trail without burning a few bridges, but uh, let's have a look at some of your tweets about Medusa. First up from Rusted Wire Witch. One of my favourite German suplexes in the whole business. Hell yes. Dip into 1994 and enjoy any given match between her and Bill Nakano. Yeah, we were recommended a lot yes. from that run. They had a whole series. Mm. You know, apparently they're just, all great. They're all great, absolutely. Yeah, that is just kind of the most well-known one. Mm. But uh, yeah, we'll put up the match list as always on HowToWrestling.com. Now from VCOM7418, one of the biggest what-ifs for me in wrestling. What if neither WWF nor WCW were sexist pricks and actually tried to give a damn about women's wrestling for more than a week? Alundra could have been bigger now if that happened. So true. And yeah. Yeah, it's just so sad that they, they just, they cared about women and they were like, no, I'm bored of that toy now. Put it in the bin. Yeah, it was, it was never, I think, taken seriously and earnestly. Mm -hmm. You know, I think it was viewed as kind of like an idea that you could kind of use as proof that you're coming up with ideas or yeah. you've, got, you've got stuff in the go or whatever it is. And very often was the case with Eric Bischoff where he wanted the toy just so Paulie or Vince McMahon couldn't yeah, have it. Yeah, exactly. That's all it is. That's all it is. You know, he ain't going to play with this. No. Now from Mick M90, low key one of the best German suplexes in wrestling. Yeah. Walked so every woman ahead of her could run. Yeah, those German suplexes are amazing. Yeah, and I think that's that's a very nice way of putting it. I feel like, you know, when people talk about women standing on the shoulders of giants, uh, they're often on the broad shoulders of Alundra Blaze, yeah. he thinks. Next from Kuro Batasai. 
Most people remember the title in the trash, I would wager, but I first got into wrestling around age eight in 1994 and her matches in WWF with Bertha Faye are really my only memories of women actually wrestling until the early 2000s, you know, except Attitude Era catfights and such. Yeah, it's, uh, it's weird. I feel like it's very easily could have been woven into the story that they wanted to tell, but yeah. they just wanted to cut that out entirely. It's uh, women's wrestling in WWF in the mid nineties is very much the Star Wars Christmas special of uh, of wrestling media. But I think it is, it, yeah, it's important to say that for a lot of people our age and a bit older, she would have been the formative memory of women's wrestling like yeah. she was the one yeah. like not to say she was the only one but she was the the most there was the most one <laughs> yeah. but you, know, you literally could you know draw a line like right after alundra who who's in you've got sunny sable marlena you know it is a different type of woman who they're wanting to present after that fact you mm. know and i felt in their in their mind those two types of women couldn't coexist yeah. for me in my ideal wrestling show all sorts is what I'd like. I'd, yeah. yeah, we can have more than one type. I totally agree. <laughs> Finally, from Benny Five Bellies, <laughs> rocking the Kurt Cobain look in AJW. <laughs> awesome. Yes. yes, accurate. 1990 Wrestle Marine pad. She had fun tag. Cuts an awesome post-match promo while busted open and looks awesome as hell. Yeah, I one thing I did want to mention about Japan that didn't come up at the time because it felt like there was no good time to bring it up. But obviously you think of Japan, you think of her wrestling there and that era in all Japan women's. Obviously it is hard hitting. They are pushing the boundaries of how hard you can hit and the types of things you could do to each other in the ring relatively safely. But if you were a woman there at the time, there was an expectation. There is that slight idle culture where mm. you have to expect to give a bit of a song and a dance. Ah, yes. And yes, we do have the iconic denim-clad, nose-busted-open, passionate fighter Medusa. But there was also the Medusa who sang Who's Medusa? Her hit single in Japan in the early 90s, which <laughs> she does not want anyone to know about or talk about. And let me tell you, we watched it. Hell of a show. It's a pretty catchy song. She did a fucking live in the ring. Yeah, and she did like a, not a backflip, but like a kind of backwards, it's not backwards roll because it's more than that, but it was cool. And she did all these moves and stuff. She had an outfit change mid-song. She did. There's something about her with her big kind of hairspray look mm. and like ripping off the clothes and like on this mat that's covered in women's blood. Yeah. And she's like, who's with this? It's me. <laughs> or is it you? <laughs> She also sang in Japanese. She did. Very, Come on. Very cool. Very Dude, you got to love that. That's yeah. impressive. I think that should be the way with every wrestler that wrestles in Japan and should have been the way with every wrestler that wrestles in Japan. They should do a Japanese song. Terry Funk, Ichiban, you dirty egg sucking <laughs> Well, that's going to do it for this episode of uh, How to Wrestling, chatting about Medusa, Alundra Blaze. Joe, where she rank up with you? I know uh, a lot of the women we've done on this podcast, we've tried to go for maybe... The non-obvious, you know, main eventers you know all about. Mm. So uh, where'd she rack up in the annals of women's wrestling history for you? I mean, it's always so hard to rank, I feel, women harder than it is to rank men because there's so few of them. Yeah. So it feels... Do very different things They're all very different well. things, yeah, exactly. So I, I'm not going to compare her to any other women, but I will compare her to some men. And I think she really does remind me of kind of like a mixture between like Dustin Rhodes and Bret Hart. Oh, yeah. But also... I don't know, like her heel run is so... I don't know who that reminds me of. Maybe a bit of Kevin Nash or someone. Like she's just very cool and very versatile. Yeah. But it's unusual 
to kind of have any wrestler that can do everything. Like the fact that she wasn't very good on the mic and then she really worked hard on herself and she overcame that. And now if you like watch her talk on like in oh, yeah. documentaries, she's so captivating. Yeah, she's really good She's now. such a good talker. Yeah. Like she could have a pod. I mean, I think she does have a podcast actually, but she yeah. gets on YouTube and she, yeah, wrestling review tube maybe coming up. I think might have to have maybe. a look at that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Just the, f- I love that she's just so ambitious with herself in not a way that tears herself down. I think there's a lot of wrestlers who put these unfair expectations on themselves, and it's kind of their own. Yeah, they're their own worst enemies. Whereas she, I don't know, she's just like I can do that, and I can do that, and I can do that, I can do it all. Like she really is that kind of like perfect role model for young women and girls. And yeah, if someone's gonna come to you and go, I'm I'm Medusa, I'm a two sport athlete. What sports are those? Professional wrestling and monster truck driving. Don't fuck with me. <laughs> like, that's surely she's taken more bumps than anyone else in the wrestling business from Monster Trucks alone. <laughs> Either her or Hulk Hogan, Joe, one or the other. Like, you know. Yeah, fantastic person to learn more about. Thank you everyone for the help on this and sorry for the delay in getting this out. We were in true Monster Truck Madness uh, spirit without the roof on our house and we were just unable to record recently for, for, for any length of time. So we're very happy to be able to bring this out to you. And we're very, very happy about our next episode. <gasps> and all I'll tell you right now is get your ass over to HowToWrestling.com. Check out the upcoming episode artwork. You're going to freak. It's one of the best ever. Dan, our illustrator, at the top of his game. And I'm very excited that our next episode is going to be a little bit funny and a little bit creepy. Our next episode is about wrestling's foremost clown prince of clowning. It's How To Doink! Yes, I'm so excited. Now, this was a battle with Joe who wanted How To Dink, but I said, no, we can't do the miniature until we do the regular doink. So it's going to be an interesting episode, Joe, because many men have betrayed the man in the clown wig, Joe. So there's going to be a talk about the gimmick, the people who've played the gimmick, the various iterations that it took place and answering the age-old question. Are there enough clowns in wrestling? I submit mm. that there are not. No, I think there are. I think Doink is the only, other than Dink, is they're the only two clowns that needed to ever exist. Well, we're going to go heavy on the Doink watching. We're after your favourite matches, moments, instances of little boys and girls being made cry by Ooh. this evil, demented clown. Have you had a terrifying experience with Doink? Let us know. Use the hashtag, I can't believe I get to say this for my job, how to doink <laughs> and you'll be able to send us your tweets your favorite memories moments matches etc all your thoughts about doink the clown on our next episode the best tweets will be read out and don't forget to use the hashtag and joe over on our patreon page we've got 120 pay-per-view reviews going all the what? way back to SummerSlam 2016 that makes me feel kind of weird it is very weird old somehow aw wwe we've got some nxt in there as well or absolute 100% favourite series my favourite podcast that I do Pay-Per-View Classic it's over there on the Patreon page recent episodes we've delved into WCW Classic WWF we're going to go for an old school pay-per-view maybe AWA WCCW or maybe a little bit of old school New Japan those are all planned 
for future installments of pay-per-view classic get access to that whole series as well as our series totally divas reviewing all episodes of total divas wrestler review tube the the big show 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 and there's <laughs> definitely other ones that i've forgotten about that are in there as well a minimum of two new pieces of content a month oftentimes three for as little as five dollars a month and you get access to the entire back catalog and helps keep the show ad free and fan supported which is the way we like it joe are you excited for a little bit of doink? Oh, what do you think? I, you've got such a smile on your I'm face so right now. So excited! <laughs> you, you're laughing now, but when you get sprayed with a flower, you're gonna be oh. like. Oh. I actually hate clowns. Really? Yeah, that's why I love doink because oh, okay. I think he's really scary. Interesting. That. Let's see if we can overcome your fear of clowns through this. I don't want to overcome my fear of clowns. I think it's good. It's like trying to overcome a fear of bears. That's not wise. So your next episode. Joe's going to be sounding scared. Yep. And that's why it's How To Doink. But thank you for joining us for How To Medusa. But until next time, it's a goodbye from me, Kevin. And a goodbye from me, Joe. And we'll see you next time on How To Wrestling. See ya.